Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hykera, and this is episode number 81. This week on the podcast, I got Davey Furchow from the band Dry Wedding, straight out of Portland, um, making his appearance, and we had a nice long conversation about uh, music, metal, um, his, his band, and uh, a bunch of other types of things, and uh, it was a really good conversation. Um, really enjoyed talking to Davey, you know, probably have him back on again as well, I'm sure. It'll be n- nice to talk to him more, and um, yeah, it was a good conversation, so I think uh, I think everybody will enjoy it. Uh, of course, Dry Wedding is a pretty great band out of Portland. Um, I kind of put them in that kind of, uh, I guess... Um, it's really hard to describe like what they what they sound like. It's got that kind of southern gothic type of feeling if you don't know them. Um I mean there's a little bit of that kind of Nick Cave, Crime City Solution type of thing going on, birthday party, you know, um but then there's a, a whole lot more going on than just that. They they really have their own sound going on and uh it's really cool. And um yeah, it's great talking to Davey and uh hopefully we'll be able to see them live here soon. We'll see be really cool to to see them live and uh, hang out with Davey. So yes, that's what's going on this week on the podcast. Um, on my other upcoming um, lineup's going to be on, uh, on Sunday. I got an episode with, um, with Shiver from Arcane Archivist doing his uh, very first podcast ever. And um, that was an awesome episode. Definitely, uh, definitely going to try to have him back on again as well. Is, uh, if you like black metal talk, that's what you're going to get. If you know what Arcane Archivist is, then you can know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I so hope you guys uh, look forward to that. And, um, yeah, so I'm guessing I'm going to get into the plugs, and then we'll get into the episode. Um, I'm part of a kind of a gang of podcasters called the Horsemen of the Podcast Apocalypse, which is, of course, every other Monday you have uh, Horror Wolf 666. Every Tuesday, you have Into the Necrosphere of Jackie Schmidt. Every Wednesday, you have Everything Went Black with Mike Hill. And, of course, Mike and I do our our collaboration podcast called Darkness Weaves that we split between uh, Soul Knox and Everything Went Black, all about the work of Carl Edward Wagner. On Thursdays, you have the... um, Sorry, not Thursdays. Sorry. And on Thursdays, you have the Necromaniacs with Mike Hill, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. And then um, Fridays, you have Break the Apocalypse, or I mean, formerly known as Break the Apocalypse, now known as Spitball Media. And uh, intermittent times when he feels like putting one out, you got Iblis Manifestations with Cheyenne of Tribax. So that is the gang. Um, please uh, go support everybody. Check out the podcast. Please spread the word and share it and uh, everything. We appreciate that very much. And I'd also like to shout out to uh, my brother, Konstantin Tonovi out there in Finland with uh, Mycelium Signal. Um, he's got a pretty awesome episode coming out, uh, coming up. So, um, and yeah, and I should hopefully be on there as well in the near future. Um, and um, yeah, so then uh, I also have a, a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Solnox podcast. If you want to support the podcast, help keep things going on and in a nice way, you know, and I really appreciate the support from everybody who does uh, sign up. Uh, you can sign up to Patreon. Uh, get two to four bonus episodes a month. 
Um, so that's, that's my, my goal um, overall. So, yeah, check it out if you want to support the podcast and get a few extra episodes. You know, it's a dollar an episode, basically, and, you know, really helps out. So then you also get a mention on the, on the episode here. Um, and then uh, I have a, uh, you can follow me at my name or at Denver Underground Radio. Um, which, uh, which is downwind radio station I run. You can follow us on Instagram. Um, but, uh, radio station, we, uh, we do episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. It comes out live on DenverUndergroundRadio.com. And, uh, the shows start at 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, uh, yeah, and you can check out all the information at DenverUndergroundRadio.com. And also go on the Instagram, see all the playlists, and also all the stuff uh, you can get links to Spotify playlists as well as uh, as well as um, stuff about the podcast as well. So yeah, so I think we got we got all the uh, all the things down, and um, yeah, we're gonna get into into the episode now. So I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Davey from uh, Dry Wedding, and uh, we'll see you later. Hail Satan. Thank you.
welcome to the podcast, Davey. It's good to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. The, um, I know we've been in contact for, for a little while. I've been intending to have you on anyways, like for since I started. So it was kind of like just a matter of time before I finally was like, yeah, come on, you know? And so the, because uh, I think um, we got, I found out about you because of, of course, Mike and Mike and Ralph, you know? You know yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> that was how we found out about dry, dry wedding and murder bait and all, all you guys. So, like, uh, when you did, uh, when Mike had you on, uh, everything went black and, and everything. So, uh, I was, I just listened to that episode actually again recently. Like, pre- as we're getting ready to do this episode, I was like, re- revisit that episode. Like, I think that was, I don't even know. I mean, that was like almost about a year and a half ago, something like that. Yeah, it was, it was a minute ago now. Um, and then, yeah. And then I did kind of a random, you know, spur of the moment micro episode after we had our tour debacle earlier this year so yeah um, your your van getting stolen all that shit yeah 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 so i'll get that out of the way now van got stolen (laughs) i've told this story you know so many times since it happened but um yeah yeah uh we've basically replaced all the gear at this point but my van is still in the shop and now and now at this point they're um they're drug testing the van because someone like the body shop i think was uh saying they weren't gonna touch it until they knew that it wasn't you know saturated in meth or whatever so there's a well i'm waiting on the drug test results for my van and then depending on you know what those say it might be a matter of uh you know moving forward and getting it fixed or if it's like completely you know just covered in drugs then i'll get paid out for the van like they'll just scrap it um but it's very strange that it's gotten to this point now even though you know the car's been sitting at the shop since the beginning of may so it's a really long time to wait (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. i mean they've done stuff to it and they were like oops i don't think we were supposed to have done anything until we got this drug test and i was like okay i guess it took you four and a half months to (laughs) figure that out but all right (laughs) that's that's crazy are you do you get insurance money for for getting stolen like i know like uh like did it get do you get any money like like since it got stole you know got stolen you got it back but hopefully there's some type of insurance thing where you can get some money to help deal with all that well i mean they're they're paying for all the repairs and they they paid for it to get towed from oakland you know back to portland where i live and um you know they've been shelling out the money for for all that it sat in a tow yard for a month they paid all those fees um that's good so i haven't had to pay anything out of pocket for anything but yeah they're not you know supplying me with a rental vehicle or or anything like that i'm just you know i just haven't had uh my daily driver slash you know band car for (laughs) since you know it got stolen at the end of march so um that's and that's insane you've the year's almost over and you haven't had your car yeah that's, that's yeah fun. yeah 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 that's the problem with dealing with insurance companies is everything's like very very slow you know they have no there's no, there's nothing there's no sense of urgency on their behalf there's nothing that is um you know making them feel like they need to push things along in a timely manner it doesn't matter to them apparently so no. <laughs> they'll rack up the bills or whatever and 
it's of no consequence to them. So yeah, I had I had a, a my own like micro version of dealing with insurance companies like the last couple of months because my car got hail damage like all over the whole car and it was kind of getting old anyways. So I um I I you know got my insurance. They, they decided to total it out and all that kind of stuff and like um at a certain point i realized i have to like push it along or it's gonna i'm gonna just have to keep waiting because it took forever and finally i just started like sending them messages like hey what's going on like i mean i've been waiting like days for you guys to let me know to whatever step it was you know and finally then i was like waiting waiting i was like um like i did the stuff like where's my money basically you know what i mean like <laughs> i need some fucking tired of spending a bunch of money on like ubers and stuff you know it's like i need a new car oh, yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, luckily I work from home and and so does my partner. So, you know, we've just been sharing her car. Um, oh, that's, a, that's good. So that's why I haven't like, yeah, completely just lost my mind yet. Cause yeah, I've had, I've had resources and, and yeah, I work from home. So it's not, um, not a huge deal, but yeah, it's, it's um, definitely different when you're like, you know, like, like I was taking the bus and then lifting from the bus, this like bus station thing to my work. And then I was like, you know, you spent, I mean, it's a whole different thing when you're spending $30 a day to get to and, to and from work. You know what I mean? And that's not including if you try to go to a grocery store or something, you know, like, yeah, you're like, you're like the, all right, come on, let's, let's hurry up. You fucking fucking company, you know, like, I know you guys don't care, but <laughs> yeah, it's like, I need some wheels man. I'm tired of like tired of shit. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. I haven't had to do that since I was like, I don't know, 10 years ago like 10 years ago or something like i was in my 20s last time i had to take the bus every day you know what i mean <laughs> yeah for sure and i was living downtown like so i didn't really need a car you know like i wasn't lived and worked downtown at that time so <laughs> yeah that urban living you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah so you're like where are you um i've only been i've been to portland a couple times but are you like uh on the outskirts or are you actually like in the in the in the guts of portland are you kind of like out on the outside i'm in portland proper but i yeah i live in north portland um so you know um i could hop on the freeway and be in washington in you know less than 10 minutes right um so yeah just just up here in north portland um yeah i i i start naming off stuff like that you know but if you haven't been here a ton you know i don't think yeah. you know what i talking about anyway <laughs> yeah i was just like hopefully there's not so many homeless people up where you are <laughs> in downtown portland <laughs> no that's always kind of been i mean it, it got worse during the pandemic for sure but um you know it it's was always like, you know it was like that when i went to portland in like 2006 i remember going to portland for the first time in 2006 and there was more homeless people there than I'd seen anywhere except for maybe San Francisco. I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's downtown's been that way for a long time. Um, did uh, the I from what I've heard, um, I, did you ever watch that Netflix documentary series Wild Wild Country about the like Rajneeshi um, cult? No. <laughs> what uh, okay. Kind of cult is that? That sounds so. <laughs> Yeah, it was this like uh, this guy who like fancied himself as a guru uh, moved here from India and um, kind of set up this compound out in 
a place called Antelope, Oregon. And they kind of took over this tiny town and then built this compound like outside of this tiny town. Um, but at one point when they were like building up, um, you know, the compound and trying to entice people to move there, um, one of the things that they did was they like drove around the country and they picked up homeless people and brought them to the compound and you know what ended up happening is you know some of these people were were homeless because they were you know suffering from you know mental illness and so they ended up having some people who you know were being very disruptive <laughs> within the camp and so um they were like okay we got to like remove these people so from what i've been told they loaded up some buses and they dropped them off in downtown Portland. And this was in the eighties. And I mean, it's like a similar thing with, um, you know, Skid Row in LA when Reagan slashed a bunch of the programs to help people, um, you know, suffering from mental illness or homelessness. Yeah. Um, a bunch of those people just got dumped off in downtown uh, LA. And now you have this kind of like generational homelessness. And so it's like been that way for, decades um so yeah that's that's what i've heard about the the portland situation and also i think just because it's a um you know it's a compassionate place i think people think that if they come here they can get help but it's just we don't have we don't have enough resources to meet the demands you know so yeah yeah it's it's uh it's crazy uh the um portland's a pretty uh i mean it's a beautiful area beautiful town i mean I remember going down to the uh, what's that really huge bookstore downtown? Oh, Powell's. Powell's, yeah. I went there. I was like, well, that you know, I'm a big book person. Obviously, I have like huge, you know, huge amounts of books. Like, but I love that place. It was like a lot of a lot of great books you can get there. Oh yeah, it's like a whole yeah city block, and I think it's six or seven stories. Um, so yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a definitely like a fixture of Portland. People who come to town usually want to stop there. Yeah, uh, I could I could have spent all day there just looking at everything. It was like overwhelming how much stuff there was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always like I always like going to a bookstore that has like a good section on like you know the stuff that I'm into too. Particularly if you go to a book in the store and they have like really good, you know, uh, like occult or mythology or you know all that kind of shit as well. It's nice. Yeah, well, in Portland too, I feel like um, at any given time has a at least a couple like smaller like occult bookshops, um, you know. So it's a if you come back, you know, I'll I'll see what's around right, <laughs> when, yeah. you're, when you're planning to visit and and you know you can check them out because yeah, right. I feel like there's always at least a couple that that specialize in those types of books and things. Right. Yeah. I I feel like like the 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 Northwest has a lot of a lot of that going on. And I mean, probably the West Coast as a whole, even in California, you know, like has a lot of occult occult bookstores and all that kind of stuff's a big big fixture in the in the West Coast. I feel like you know. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, so you're you're from California originally, right? I am. Yeah. Okay. Like Southern California, or? Yeah, from Southern California. I still have um, some family there too. So you know. I'm I'm back there every once in a while to visit and uh, you know see family, see old friends, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. But seems like Port. I mean, seems like Portland is kind of a good home for you. Like with, uh, I mean, the fact that you could find people to play something like what you're doing with Dry Wedding is pretty 
impressive because I can tell you that trying to find people in Denver to play your the kind of music you're playing would be very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I I had um I mean, I played in multiple bands, you know, growing up in California. Um and the last one I did before Dry Wedding was a band called Swampland and it was a similar I I had similar influences um you know that I was trying to tap into for that as I do with Dry Wedding, but um you know uh some of the people i ended up working with uh specifically this guitarist that i worked with um he came from kind of a more i guess i'll call it like a pop oriented background like he was schooled in in the cure and the smiths and things like that right and and i was um kind of wanting things to be a little weirder a little darker um and you know i feel like the longer we played together, the more it kind of crept that way. But there was definitely like, yeah, like uh, he brought, you know, his poppier elements to the table as well. Um, so when I decided to move up here in 2017, I, you know, I had this idea in my mind, like, okay, like I want to take this idea I had for this band that kind of got mutated over time and, and like, you know, really push it in the direction that I, wanted it to go in the in, you know in the first place um and so even you know it was like a couple of weeks before i even moved up here i started posting craigslist ads and then um you know <laughs> started chatting with people that way and then um you know fast forward to finally getting the the lineup uh solidified you know it was all all the guys came from craigslist uh so um it took a lot of work and it took a lot of meeting random people and having them come to my house, um, you know, jamming in my basement. <laughs> right. So can be, a, can always be a little sketchy doing that. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely, I definitely had some, some, you've, you <clears throat> meet some like strange, some interesting people, let's say, you know, doing that, that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Where you're like, it's like, do I really should, do I really want this person in my house? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and too, like, you know, it was a lot of people that really wanted to, you know, play music and be in a band, but they really didn't understand, you know, where I was coming from. They didn't understand the bands I was referencing in the ad or, or like, you know, how I wanted to approach the whole thing. So, you know, I just, I didn't want to have to, um, go through that process with someone where I have to like, you know, get them years worth of inspiration in a very short amount of time so we can get this band off the ground. So when I started getting actual replies where, you know, like uh, Tom, our drummer, you know, when he's like, oh, I love 16 horsepower, um, you know, and here are all these punk and metal bands I've played in, you know, here are recordings. Um, that was like, okay, yeah, that's what I, that's what I was hoping to, to receive. And then, you know, after playing with him for five minutes, I was like, I 100% have to play with you. Um, he's, you know, very, very talented. So he was, um, once I, once I kind of went through and worked with a group of people and it wasn't working out, he was the first person I connected with when I kind of started over from scratch. Um, and, uh, yeah and then just kind of moved on move forward from there right finding a drummer is always the the key thing though i think like if you can find a drummer 
in worst case you could probably do it by yourself if you need to you know as long as you have a drummer you know what i mean like <laughs> for like a lot of music you know like there's always where there's a will there's a way with that kind of stuff you know like but uh you know worse is when you're like don't have like you don't you know don't have anybody or you know you're trying to like figure out what you're gonna how you're gonna do it like at least for, to me like um yeah having a drummer is like the the, the real big key thing because you know everything else can come after that you know what i mean oh yeah totally uh but that was kind of the interesting thing because with the initial group i was playing with and then even after dry wedding you know was starting to get off the ground we we had uh i had issues with bass players for whatever reason yeah. and i think i think the issue there is a lot of people who end up playing bass in bands are guitarists first and then they're like okay i'll play bass you know and then they realize that they're not as passionate about bass um as they are about playing guitar and then they don't feel fulfilled and they they want to move on and do something where they can play guitar there's just so many guitarists you know yeah no that's the story of story of my life like the uh um it's a band i have uh my friend enough we do this band called sleeping pill which is another project i work with but we had our old our project before that was called the dead letters and um with both of, of those projects bass player is like our fucking nemesis like we can never find a bass player like like at one so at a certain point i was like um I was just like, okay, I'm just gonna fucking play bass till we find somebody, I guess. Like, I mean, but then he was like, no, but I want to have two guitars. I'm like, but I'm like, what are we gonna? I mean, we can't find a fucking bass player. Like, it's impossible. Like, it seems like you know, like somebody who's like, who actually owns a bass and owns a bass amplifier and has an idea about bass tone and actually gets what we're going for. Like, it's some seemed like seems like almost impossible to find. You know what I mean? Like, it's just very like because you'll meet all these people who are like um oh i i could play bass but i don't have a bass or a bass amplifier or you have somebody <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> yeah like i have a bass but i don't have an amplifier or something like that you know what i mean like can i tell you how many yeah. people dealt with that that way <laughs> i mean i yeah i was getting a lot of stuff like that on craigslist and so i i i feel like the ad just kept getting more and more detailed like i was like must have equipment must have transportation must be willing to tour like you know just all the all the disclaimers must be you know, willing to practice weekly, all that stuff. Um, but no, it's actually funny because I, I was just thinking about it too. Um, you know, I mentioned like, oh, having this idea and, and moving and, and starting this band up here. But my initial concept was that I was going to go back to just singing in a band. Because when I was young, like I, you know, I was in bands where I just sang. And then I did a couple bands where I played bass and sang at the same time. Um, and then, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to just singing so I can like, you know, work the stage, work the crowd. Um, and then I just started writing a bunch of songs on guitar and I honestly didn't think I had, um, any right to play guitar in a band. Cause I just know so many talented guitarists and, you know, I'm, I'm not like insanely technically proficient at guitar, but I, I think I, I know how to write things that are interesting and leave enough space to where, you know, the other people in the band can, can work their magic and fill in the space. And then it becomes this whole other thing. And I was like, okay, yeah, what I'm doing doesn't have to be insanely intricate, but like I can come up with these ideas and then 
we can build on top of them. Cause I, I just got to the point where I started kind of deconstructing music and realized that a lot of music, when you strip it down to its barest elements, it's actually quite simple. And it's about how you like layer things and um, you know, and how you structure things in, you know, um, and then of, of course there's like, you know, technical death metal bands or whatever that really do crazy shit, but I didn't have um, the desire to do that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just, I think like, I think I got past that, that idea where I'm like, no, I can, I can play guitar like, and, and then have these other people contribute these other things. So it kind of just um, evolved into, into that. So. Yeah. I think uh, that's the thing with, um, with songs. I mean, like I'm always, I've always been the type of person who gravitates more towards, uh, I don't know, like, uh, I think I've said on a recent podcast was like, I don't like stuff like Stevie Vai or, you know, just say that kind of guitar noodling stuff. I don't <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I don't like stuff like necrophagist where it's just like, sounds like guitar, like warm up techniques for like shredders or something like set to music, set to drums, you know, or whatever. Like, I like, I'm, I like song, I like just like good songs, you know, like doesn't matter what style of music it is, but it's like, if you, uh, I guess I'm, but I, yeah, I think I generally tend to go towards more primitive stuff in a way, you know what I mean? Where it's like, um, not trying to be so complicated or so like, you know, even when it's kind of complicated or avant-garde, like, um, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like songwriting is kind of like one of those things where you don't have to be writing like a thousand notes a second really you know like i i actually don't really like that very much i mean i i'd rather listen to you know the velvet underground or something doing like you know one chord over and over again than listen sister to... ray for 30 minutes yeah i'd rather <laughs> i'd rather listen to, i'd rather listen to i'd listen to sister ray any day than than ever have to like sit through necrophagist or some band like that it's just like i hate that stuff you know what i mean like <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, it's like everybody in this band, like if we didn't, if we didn't keep those things in check, like everybody in the band could go off all day long on their, you know, respective instruments. Uh, and, and, you know, but I, I think one thing that we've tried to do and that we're also paying extra attention to as we're finishing this third album we've been working on is just, um, you know, picking those right moments to embellish and to make things a little busier, a little more chaotic, but then also being able to rein things in and have them be a little more minimalist and, um, you know, to kind of have that ebb and flow and to be able to tap into those different atmospheres and, and moods and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, I've always, um, like a lot of stuff they write, um, I think that I always like the idea of like, you kind of like, you can take like the basic structure of a song be really simple. Like the bait, you know, like I'll write stuff sometimes where it's like, you write, I write on bass and I'm basing it around this kind of more simple thing. You know what I mean? And then on top of that, you can layer all this other stuff going on. You know, it's like the basic song. And then it's all about how you arrange the song and what you add to it. That takes it to the next level. You know what I mean? Like I always looked at, um, I don't know, a band like New Order where, you know, they have like, say, a song like Temptation or something where it's literally one 
one chord progression for the entire song. And what really makes that song work is that is the arrangements of the guitars and stuff, which are almost like classical in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. how like these mel all these like guitar melodies that's going on in bass and guitar stuff and how they're intertwining with each other, but it's all based around like just the, you know, four notes, you know, which I think is I always really found that to be kind of an inspiring type of thing, you know? Yeah, I, I <laughs> I've been trying to be I mean, because I, I do like a lot of music that does that, but also I feel like as musicians, we have a hard time doing that sometimes. So a lot of times what ends up happening is like I'll come up with, a you know, multiple ways to play a riff. And then so now the song has multiple parts that are kind of based around the same note structure, but they're also different enough to sound like the song is changing. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah. You know, and then jamming different stuff in between. Yeah, because like sometimes I come up with three versions of a riff and I'm like, well, I there's not a clear winner here. And if I'm going to use like this cluster of notes, why not use them all, (laughs) you know, if they work? Um, That's something you hear like a lot of, I hear a lot of black metal bands do, you know, where they'll be like, play the same riff, but, but then play it slightly differently, you know, like, or have different drum beats going on, like, um, I've done that too. Like, you know, like, well, I'll try to write a song. I'll write a riff and I'll be like, you know, and then sit down with my drummer and we have to arrange how we're going to play it. Cause I'll just write the riff and be like, I can hear this riff being played in a mid tempo way. It could be played with a blast beat. You could play, you know, we could play this riff in a bunch of different ways. So then you have to figure out which way works better, but you can also do stuff where you do each one, you know, like, I think that that works out too. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I mean, yeah, sometimes I have a clearer idea of that than others. And then, yeah, I mean, sometimes that becomes a, a problem in itself where there's there, like the excitement of having so many options can start to uh, become a concern because it feels like <laughs> you're not getting any closer to the the answer, you know? Um, yeah, that can happen with uh, that can always be a danger of like, I think all things in music having too many options you know what i mean like where do you get to the point where you're like don't know what to choose like say like guitar stuff like if you have too many pedals and too many things like to choose from you're like you get overwhelmed like what should i use for this part of the song you know what i mean like (laughs) it's like you kind of have to like have a vision of what you want in the in that part hear it in your head and then then go for a sound that goes for what you hear in your head because like if you get too caught up in like all oh, the options sometimes it can be really like, i think a little overwhelming you know yeah yeah like i said it, there's like this there's this line that you cross over and all of a sudden the excitement of infinite possibilities turns into slight panic <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like when like you know like we have too many stations on a tv or like you look like streaming now where you're like i have too many options i don't know what to watch now because i have i could literally watch i have to choose amongst like thousands of things you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and i mean i i actually i um i collect movies like i buy a lot of movies and to me i'm like oh that'll solve that problem right but then i have so many movies now that the same thing happens. I look at this like giant shelf and I, I just think like, okay, what, what do I pick? I don't know. What mood am I in? I don't know. Um, and then, yeah. So then you have that, um, that uh, like indecision paralysis. Yeah. I, I always hate that feeling like when it comes to, you know, 
watching a movie or listening to music or something where you don't know what mood you're in. I hate that feeling. You know, I like it when I like know clearly I feel like this, you know, I want to watch this. I'm going to listen to this. Like this is the exact mood I'm in right now. I hate when I'm like in one of those moods where I don't know what mood I'm in or when I want to watch or listen to multiple things at the same time. That's yeah. Like, <laughs> it's almost even worse because you can feel like this like feeling where you're like, I want to listen to these things at the same time, but I can't listen to it at the same time. So then you kind of get in this. I think it might be an ADD type of thing where you're like, don't can't don't know which one you want to focus on or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, like I, I'll get kind of like manic like that sometimes. Yeah. You know, like me too. It gets, it gets a little annoying. Tricky when you like want to listen to two things that almost don't seem to have anything in common, but for some reason to you, they, they seem to connect, you know, like yeah. I usually get like that when I want to listen to something, but maybe that thing doesn't quite exist, you know, like I'll be oh, here, yeah. you know, you hear something in your head and you're like, I want to hear something like this, but I can't think of a band that sounds like that. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's why we start bands, right? That's exactly it. That, that's like one of the motivating factors of, of a lot of the stuff we create, you know, like yeah. the band, the band Warlock I sent you earlier. That was one of the motivating factors of that was that I heard something in my head that doesn't exist. And so I was trying to create it, you know, and, you know, still didn't quite achieve what I was hearing in my head, but you know, but that's the thing. If you hear something in your head and they try to like bring it into reality and then you're kind of like probably failing at actually bring what you had in your head, but you succeeding in creating something else. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, I think, you know, I, yeah, I think any band I've ever been in, I mean, with the exception of when I was younger and playing in punk bands and we, uh, you know, kind of colored inside the lines and played something very true to a specific style. Like that was like, okay, that's a, pretty much exactly what I thought it was going to be. But ever since then, you know, I've every band I've ever done, really since like the first couple I was in um, you know, that's been the goal to me was to create something that I thought was combining things in uh, a way that hopefully is interesting to people, but also, yeah, it's kind of contributing to this ongoing, you know, discourse that is all types of rock and roll or whatever. Um and, and yeah, just, yeah, but always having this idea and then going to execute it and it always being not, not exactly what, yeah, you heard in your head, but, um, you know, uh, it, it comes out and I think that that maybe, I mean, cause I'm also not like the greatest guitar player or like, you know, I'm not, I can't like hear something, hear something in my head and figure out the exact notes. Like I know people who can do that where they hear in their head, they know, they hear these notes and they know how to. Oh yeah, it's just just and they like it's like just like for me I'm like you know I don't I don't know what like I hear something in my head but I have no idea like what I what notes it is you know what I mean or something like that like you're just trying to like clunk it out you know try to figure it out you know and so I found a lot of times that that can be I try not to get too caught up in the frustration at that that thing and instead just let what comes out come and just be a natural thing you know like you're just like channeling whatever it is you're channeling and you're letting it come, you know, just from accepting like your own limitations as a guitarist or as a musician, you know, you have to accept whenever I accept those limitations and I actually just roll with it, I actually create stuff that's better or actually higher quality, you know, higher ability than I normally can play. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like once you 
you have to overcome that kind of like self uh, emulation. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I've just come to embrace it over time because I'm like, well, it's, you know, I can, I can view it as a strength that I, I don't play exactly like, you know, Roland S Howard or whoever I'm pulling influence from, because the reason I love him so much is because he doesn't sound like any other guitarist, you know, and, and, you know, all of these people that I really idolize, I feel like they all do something in a, unique way and so i'm like no like they don't sound exactly like whoever they were pulling influence from i i think it's good that i can't you know exactly recreate someone's sound because i i want whatever i'm doing to somehow be be my own and yeah be authentic to you know the way i do things yeah exactly yeah like yeah it's good you mentioned rolling s howard because i'm a huge rolling s howard fan i mean i love love everything he's done particularly the first uh solo album oh yeah yeah like the teenage um teenage snuff film snuff film yeah teenage snuff film yeah. that album is fucking incredible and uh like that um uh the way yeah everything about the way he makes music out i just find i find i really love you know like and the way he goes between like the kind of jangly guitars but then like super noisy you know stuff like is like amazing you know yeah yeah i mean like when i was doing those uh those craigslist ads i mean the birthday party was a band that i referenced in every single posting i did and um i actually just went and saw the birthday party documentary last night uh screened here in portland so oh cool i didn't um, know there was the documentary about that i have to watch i need to watch that <laughs> yeah it's been it's been making the rounds i think kind of like at select theaters around the country um, but yeah, I mean, he's constantly a reference point. Um, you know, we definitely, uh, like to pull from the Roland S. Howard playbook, uh, quite a bit. <laughs> right. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like he's incredible, like, and, in, and in his, uh, his songs and his singing and just like the whole thing, you know, like the whole thing about what he does, like, I think is incredible. And, you know, I get the feeling that, Ronas Howard in a, in a way is kind of in that lineage of um, the same type of feeling I get when I listen to, I don't know, like, you know, some of that old blues guys or something like that, where they're just themselves. You know what I mean? Like they're just playing yeah. raw, like from their soul. Like, this is why I play. This is my music. You know what I mean? Like, um, and that's what you hear Rowan S. Howard, you know, and I feel like, for me, that's always really important is that you just need to play what's from your soul, you know, whatever that may be, if it's death metal or black metal or some other type of music or, you know, or both things could be true. You could ha have both things going on or, you know, for me, like playing black metal or playing this other type of music is both kind of like, you know, parts of parts of who I am, you know what I mean? But it's like, as long as it's for real, that's what the most important thing is. I think people can hear that, hear that honesty and integrity about your music. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always been something that I've really uh, gravitated towards. I think when an artist or band is, is just, yeah. Putting something out there and it feels very authentic, feels like very soulful, very genuine. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I feel like when a band is performing and it seems like it's this rehearsed thing and I can't identify with the passion um, 
or it just doesn't seem to be there at all. Uh, those are bands that I have a harder time connecting with. You know, I, I, I feel like you can tell pretty much immediately when you drop the needle on a record or you see a band on stage, if they, if they mean it or not. Um, and, uh, you know, the bands that really, really mean it, I, I feel like, you know, go down as my favorite bands of all time. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Cause there's definitely a lot of people out there who are really, really good musicians. You know, they're really, they can play the shit out of a lot of people, but they're anything they do kind of sterile, you know what I mean? It's kind of lifeless. Cause they're, it's almost like they're too good. You know what I mean? Like, whereas like they're, they can play whatever, whoever, a lot of them, those guys I meet, they don't really have um they you know real like creative side of them they just like playing guitar and they can play whatever and you know what i mean like uh so i feel like a lot of those guys they're great to have in a band as kind of like to help support a band if some band has like its own vision but a lot of those guys when they try to create their own bands like that's why we get all those stupid metalcore bands and stuff you know what i mean because it's like all those all those guys you meet in those end bands like they're they're just like guitar player guys who don't really care what they're playing as long as they can go play guitar and tour and shit. You know what I mean? So they're like, well, metalcore is popular. So let's just copy what every other band's doing. And this right. You know, are like, you know, paint by numbers, like metalcore stuff or whatever. I don't know. I mean, that's just from my experience from meeting some of these types of people, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, uh, Casey who, uh, you know, played in murder bait and plays in Shadowlands. um, He's, he's actually uh, my future brother-in-law. Um, but him and I were uh, chatting the other day and, and he kind of uh, summed it up as the difference between musicians and artists, right? So it's yeah. a musician can, yeah, like you said, can faithfully reproduce something or can play something note for note, um, you know, but there's like a, a creativity and an art that certain people put into music and that, puts them more in that artist bucket than just being a, a musician. Um, yeah, exactly. I think that that, and some people might see, I feel like um, today there's this kind of like tendency to be like, call everybody an artist, but that's not really true. And I feel like some people might see that, that being talking shit or being negative about musicians, but I'm not, I'm saying that musicians are a necessary part of the whole thing, but it's, better when they're allied with an artist you know what i mean when you have some like it's like back in the old classical you know when you're talking about classical music for example the artist is the classical composer who composed the piece of music the musician is the person who can take that piece of music and interpret it and play it perfectly you know yeah and in modern band sense it's like a, a band can only be a band needs to have like an artist driving the vision and it can have people who are musicians who maybe don't, they're not artists, but they're like really good musicians and they get the vision and they're work, you know, helping to push that vision forward. You know what I mean? Like, that's like the best thing, you know what I mean? Like, but yeah, nowadays, of course, people, everyone's like, oh, I'm an artist, but you know, like just writing some like paint by number songs doesn't mean you're an artist. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, go around and you know call myself an artist or anything like that but i'm very intentional about the things that i do i i am constantly you know working on music recording little demos um you know i'm i have a creative writing background um you know i went to school for that and i write music articles and things for my job so it's um it's a big part of of who i am 
And so even, you know, with songwriting, I feel <laughs> I say this to people sometimes like it's gotten harder for me, even like, you know, there's this idea that you do something a bunch of times and it becomes easier. Uh, but I just I, I set new standards for myself and I, I'm, I'm probably just uh, grossly overthinking things at this point. But I definitely there's a there's a lot that goes into the writing process for me as as you know as far as lyrics go and um yeah i just like i said i probably just <laughs> am overthinking things because a lot of people um you know they don't they don't care that much but i do so it's like it's it's more for me i guess than than anybody else yeah and it well better to care more and try to do the best you can i think you know like i mean i feel like you you've obviously had kind of a vision like, like when you created dry wedding did you, it seems like you had kind of had a vision of the type of band that you wanted to, to kind of bring into 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 the world right like i mean obviously your previous band swampland was already kind of going in this in the direction that dry wedding's gone and so have you always had this kind of vision for what the band was going to be from from the beginning um yeah um yeah i think yeah like i said i started kind of working within those ideas in Swampland and then, you know, based on that experience was able to say, okay, uh, I liked this, this, and this about that experience, but I think it was lacking these things. And then, so, um, you know, with the dynamic in Swampland being my guitar player, bringing a lot of the music in and like me bringing my, you know, my vocal melodies and my lyrics and my bass lines, uh, you know, I kind of tweaked that approach starting this new band where I'm like, okay, I'm going to um, kind of lead the charge as far as like the music is concerned as well. So, you know, a lot of times it's um, me coming up with a riff or a couple of riffs, or sometimes it's a bunch of riffs um, for a song idea. And then I share those with the band and then, um, you know, if there's an interest there, if there's an excitement there, then it's something that we'll bring into the practice space and we'll, um, you know, start to work on and then we'll add more parts. People will bring in their ideas for things. We'll go back and forth. We're like, <laughs> if we were joking about this the other day, cause it's like, you know, we were talking about the, you and I were talking about the options thing a little bit ago, but it's like, yeah, it'll, we'll come up with a part to a song and like, you know, someone will be like, okay. Let's do it again, but I'm going to try this thing now. Okay, let's do it a third time, but I'm going to try it this way. And we kind of just like try multiple versions of things sometimes. Um, sometimes the songs go a little quicker, but a lot of times it's like us like moving pieces around or um, yeah, just trying just very subtle different things for our particular pieces in the song. Um but yeah, that was a very long-winded way to say yeah. I had a, I had a good idea of of how I wanted things to go with this band for sure. Right, you kind of had the, the the kind of um, what are what like how do you like describe like the kind of lyrical concept? The lyrical lyrics obviously very important to the band to what you're doing, right? I mean, you're trying to express the music, the music and the lyrics and all that kind of vice versa. Like you're trying, right? Like and um, how would how would you say that, how would you like, um, I guess, uh, describe kind of the overarching kind of themes of the lyrics and, and like where, 
where that's going. You know what I mean? If you know, I'm, I'm kind of a horrible way to ask the question. I get what you're saying. No. Um, so for me, I mean, I, I, I do focus um, on things that I think, you know, human beings kind of universally struggle with. Uh, but instead of just saying, Oh, you know, I'm sad and life is hard and just being very direct about it. I usually come up with some sort of narrative um, usually some uh, pretty intense, you know, kind of concrete imagery to illustrate certain feelings or thoughts, um, you know, just trying to find a way to express, um, yeah, just certain things that I, I struggle with that I think other people could relate to. Uh, but like I said, kind of, of taking that and using these like, you know, images and these metaphors and and building these narrative songs around uh these kind of more universal themes uh and i mean yeah i do pull a lot from you know like southern gothic kind of imagery um you know there's a lot of nature imagery um you know i'm, try I'm trying to think about the stuff that i've been been writing for this new record but yeah um you know just uh we you know we kind of have this kind of twangy sound of the music so the i think sometimes like the the images or the lyrical themes um kind of sync up with that um but without being completely beholden to that too you know uh but i think with this with this new stuff it's i i've been i think before i was like having a lot of these like I like to say like we can do whatever we want, but I was, I was establishing boundaries for myself that I feel like with the new stuff we've been writing, I've been like allowing myself to just lean into the things that I love and have loved for a long time, a little bit more. So it's like, okay, the little like, you know, uh, spaghetti Western influence stuff. Like I love that. Why don't I put more of that in there? I, I grew up listening listening to punk i listen to tons of metal why not let more of that kind of um energy through um and so it's it's and then lyrically too i feel like you know like okay there were like certain things i wouldn't allow myself to to like say like certain words or whatever and then i'm like no like you read like a cormac mccarthy novel and it's like all death 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 and blood you know whatever and i was like <laughs> like talking about that stuff but also like yeah like i said like not allowing myself to tap into certain things and i'm like okay no like let the brutality flow like it's you know you like that stuff so why why are you like um holding yourself back from from fully tapping into it so um like, let's make let's take let's take make it a little bit more brutal <laughs> yeah and I, and I feel like too it's like you know the more we've been playing uh you know the fact that we've done a couple records together and we're working on this third one now um and and just kind of based on naturally where everybody's at you know the the music is is getting like heavier and more aggressive and i feel like part of that is as we've gone on, like, you know, we've made connections with, with people like you and Mike and Ralph and people that are um, in the metal community that understand what we're doing. And it, 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 we seem to be connecting more with um, 
like you know the metal audience than maybe the post-punk audience because they might have a very um I'm trying to think of a way to I say think, this i think that that was the type of thing you're doing dry wedding a lot of times like uh guys who are into metal and also like you know nick cave and or you know like that kind of stuff are going to get more like what you're doing because it's then somebody who just listens to you know goth and post-punk stuff you know what i mean because a lot of those people i know who listen to goth and post-punk stuff like they're like pretty much they're like i always want to listen to cold cave and stuff you know what i mean they don't they don't like to hear stuff that's like heavier or harder at all a lot of times you know like this is yeah. from my experience from 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 that uh that when you're kind of like the kind of music you're making like could appeal to some people in the post-punk if they're like more in the birthday party and that kind of stuff but i feel like there's a lot more people in the metal who get that because i think that uh is that thing of like people are in the metal who are more open-minded or just into extreme music as a whole or music that's like pushing a kind of darkness and stuff so i think you run into a lot of metal guys that's one reason why i say like woven hand is really popular metal guys you know what i mean like yeah yeah and i was actually going to reference them as kind of i i see us kind of having a similar path as far as like us continuing to play on heavier bills and 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 play with those types of bands because yeah i mean their sound kind of evolved that way too right like uh, as they went on the some of the later records have been like you know they've had a heavier kind of undercurrent to them um and and yeah i, I just it, it seemed like a natural progression for us and it's just what feels good to us now and uh and yeah i agree with you i just think that especially with a lot of metal bands they seem more inclined to like you know bend the rules and and blend genres you know you have all these metal bands like that that have post-punk elements or folk elements or southern gothic black metal bands and and you have all this like kind of cool fusion going on because i think yeah a lot of a lot of people in the metal community can recognize that these different types of dark music can complement you know each other where as in i feel like in post-punk um at least for a while now a lot of it's just been essentially like dance music or pop music um but you know with some reverb and delay so it's it gets the the post-punk tag but there's not really anything um dark or challenging about the music it, you know like i said it seems more like pop music to me yeah um, that that's kind of something i've noticed with the the kind of newer um wave of post-punk like i mean yeah it's kind of the whole post-punk thing is kind of funny because you know like i actually was into like post-punk and goth and even like uh you know stuff like the birthday party swans all the kind of stuff before i got into black metal and i was also yeah. industrial and i liked other kinds of metal too like danzig and black sabbath and metallica and that kind of stuff too you know and then i got into heavy you know death metal and black metal when i was a little bit older but, you know, I mean, I was really into, like, Interpol when it came out, you know, in the early 2000s, like, and that that kind of wave of post-punk really didn't last very long, you know, it was very short-lived. Um, but I feel like um, this kind of newer wave of post-punk that's kind of arisen, um, at first it was kind of like, I was like, it was like real into the fact that, yeah, this stuff's getting, the stuff that I like a lot is getting, you know, kind of coming back, there's a lot more bands, but then it seemed like it kind of stratified into 
this particular type of sound, you know, where it's like drum machine and then, you know, bass line and then some like, you know, uh, delayed guitars and some guy like, you know, trying to sing in a baritone, but not really doing a very good job of it. You know what I mean? Like that was like, yeah, every, singing every, like one or two notes the whole time. Yeah. And yeah. I was like every, it, like so many of these bands sound like you remember in South Park, like when the goth, goth kids, yeah. cop kids and they're like listening to their goth music. And it's kind of sounded like this like parody of sisters of mercy. I'm like, that's what some of these bands straight up just sound like, you know what I mean? Like, so I oh, totally, and yeah. I, so it's kind of like kind of annoyed with that. Cause it's like, you know, to me, um, you know, post-punk, like even in the early 2000s, that post-punk boom had like a lot of different bands of different sounds, you know what I mean? Going on, like, wasn't all like the same thing. And even bands like Interpol were a lot more, I guess, lively in their music. Cause then a lot of these bands are, you know what I mean? Or I don't know, just there were, some of them had like more extreme elements. Like you had like the liars and stuff like that, who started like going into really like extreme territories of like uh, some of their stuff, you know, like, um which are really i like that i mean like they sounded more like you know flowers romance by public image limited than you know i don't know i just feel like i feel like i mean nothing against like i mean i love bands like the chameleons but even chameleons is like more lively than a lot of these bands that you hear now you know what i mean or it's just like so yeah i mean there's certain pa- parts of the those newer post on things that are like like um but a lot of them are going to be darker and maybe a little bit more intense like something like traders or um i really love ritual howls and i feel like ritual howls yeah. is like a in vibe they're not far off from what you're doing with, with dry wedding you know in a lot of ways you know like they're very dark and they got this kind of occult sinister feeling to their music you know what i mean like that's something yeah like and they got like that, that twang you know? they got that like cinematic feel to them too which um this is something that i've heard about the stuff that we make yeah um i'm, I'm yeah, i really like i i, I like i want to hear more post-punk stuff in like the ritual house like type of direction you know what i mean like rather than uh like more bands trying to do like i don't know i think of a band like night sins or something like that where it's just you know i'm just kind of tired of that <laughs> i want to hear i want to hear some stuff and i always like want to hear darker post-punk stuff but like what you're doing with dry wedding i feel like is almost a lot more closer to um I don't know, like, yeah, like the, the the birthday party kind of direction, but not sounding like the birthday party necessarily. You know what I mean? Like you're not, it's just kind of as a framework kind of, but I feel like, uh, I feel like your stuff is a lot heavier than say a lot of the, the post-punk stuff that's going on right now. And you're not doing, your stuff doesn't really have any shoegaze elements or things like that or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's definitely tapping into this other type of direction, which like I said, I feel like, I feel like it'd be a lot more popular with, with metal people in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. And I mean, I, I, I've always been this way too. I, I equally pull influence from the things that I don't like, you know, um, as far as like, you know, so I pull, I pull from all these things that I love as, you know, points of reference as influence, but I also think about all the things that I don't like, (laughs) <laughs> and I create things as a reaction to those things, right? Yeah. It's just kind of like, I don't know, my contrarian nature or something, but I've always kind of done things that way. So it's like, I'll okay, you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all these all these bands are singing in a monotone, baritone, saturated in reverb, whatever. I don't like, I don't want to do that. I want to push my voice. I want to do a bunch of stuff with my voice, Um, you know, or if uh, everyone's using a drum machine, like I want this 
heavy drummer that like plays like he's in neurosis. Like that's who I want to play with. Like, you know, and it's like, so kind of those things are usually pretty intentional for me because they're, they're me reacting to the things that um, I'm hearing in music that I'm like, that's making me want more. Like, and you know, like we were talking earlier about, Oh, like creating something that you want to hear that you feel like doesn't fully exist, you know? And, and we're not the first band to take like, this kind of like twangy element and mix it with dark music. But, you know, you have like, um, you have bands like Wayfarer that are more, you know, metal than anything else. Like it's like a black metal core. And then you have the, the twangy elements. And then on the opposite end, like you have bands that are just like super twangy country bands, but there's nothing dark about them at all. And, and like, I'm just, you know, and, and you know, there's woven hand, there's other bands too that kind of fill in the middle space, but I feel like there is a lot of empty space in the middle there that I feel like we can, we can tap into and fill. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, when it comes to the type of vibe of what you're doing with dry wedding, like there's not a lot of bands that I can think of as references or similar going on, you know, right now, like, uh, like current bands. I mean, the only other band I can really think of that's anywhere similar to you're doing is Bombara, you know, like, yeah, that's like, that's like, and it's not, and not the same, you know what I mean at all, but it's like kind of similar in a sense. You're both like very obviously like kind of Nick cave type of influence type of type of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, but I feel like, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of other bands doing that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's definitely not not like the the popular thing to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I'm I'll pitch it right here. Bombara, Ritual Howls, contact me. Let's play shows together. Yeah, uh, be there's awesome. my pitch. <laughs> like, Ritual Howls is a band I really want to see live, and uh, and um, yeah, they, I don't. I mean, as far as I know, I mean, I've been listening to them for. A long time now and they still haven't come to Colorado yet so <laughs> they always they last year they did two european tours and didn't play and uh didn't do any tours for the states at all so for the new album oh wow yeah i mean i think they played the east coast or something so yeah i mean that would be a really cool mag bill like if it was like you guys and rituals and bambara like that would all fit really good together like really on that similar type of swampy dark vibe you know yeah like sign me up yeah that'd be really cool and I, I feel like um, the, uh, yeah, I was going to say that, um, like, uh, I was trying to think, oh, 16 horsepower. Like, I remember you were talking about 16 horsepower. Like, I actually kind of, in some ways, like 16 horsepower more than Woven Hand, personally. Like, just something about 16 horsepower that kind of does it for me a little bit. I guess because it's a little bit more aggressive, but I also like Woven Hand a lot. I've seen them a bunch of times, and I kind of really have enjoyed their, their progression because the first time I saw them, um was like 2002 or something like that 2003 no 2003 that's when it was and um you know it was definitely it was still more intense than their early albums you know like the, i mean he was just, he that was back when he was still sitting playing his guitar and i think there's just like the two guys or whatever maybe i think like and um it was still pretty intense right and then but then the last time i saw him it was like last two times i've seen him you know it was like way more intense. It was like more like verging on metal, you know what I mean? Which was really pretty cool. Like always, yeah, always good. I think the last time I saw them was with Chelsea Wolf. That was a really good. 
Oh yeah, I saw that. That was a really good night. Yeah, 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 that was amazing. Yeah, because that was for the Abyss, I think, and Chelsea was was doing Abyss, like which is an amazing album, and then they were playing, and it was that was just a really fucking killer show. Yeah, I mean, I've seen like kind of different. I mean, I never. I, I by the time I learned about 16 horsepower, they were not a band anymore. Yeah, but I kind of feel that that like it's interesting you bring that up because I was talking about this last night after the birthday party documentary, and I was like, you know, I I can recognize that the the bad seeds covered so much stylistic ground, and you know they're an all time favorite of mine. But like the birthday party, just being like what they were and what they accomplished, and like that, you know like pocket of time like you know i if i had a gun in my head and i had to pick one i might pick the birthday party especially because that was like i knew them first right um, yeah as, as i was growing up and learning about music um but it kind of the same thing with 16 horsepower and woven hand like i'm like okay i can see you know woven hands done more records they've covered more ground um but 16 horsepower was the band that got me kind of obsessed with David Eugene Edwards. Um, and, you know, to kind of go back to uh, what we were talking about earlier about creating music that is at its core simple, and then you add to it and make it this bigger thing. Like one of the things that did convince me that I could pull off playing guitar in a band was watching David Eugene Edwards play in like 16 horsepower videos and woven hand videos. And I'm like, what he's doing is so impactful and it's not like he's, you know, shredding or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's so good and it means so much to me. And I was like, so why, why am I telling myself that I couldn't try to do something like that where I can make something that uh, sounds good to the ear, maybe feels impactful, but yeah, isn't necessarily like the craziest guitar run you've ever heard in your life. So yeah, his, his stuff definitely his stuff is very as this kind of primitive feeling and always it's very simple but impactful and uh, definitely has that kind of quality to it that makes me that goes back to those old blues and country artists who you know played what they played and play you know played it well as impactful you know and I feel like what he's he's always done since sixteen horsepower on is kind of tapping into that kind of territory you know what I mean. Yeah, and I mean, and just, I, I mean, he just looks like he's possessed when he plays. It's so, I mean, I'm sure you've you've enjoyed that when you've seen, you know, Woven Hand play. It's just, he's he seems possessed and not in a way like he's putting you on. It's a, It does seem very genuine. Um, yeah, exactly. He's just so, he's just such a, like an arresting presence on stage. Yeah, that's, I think that's the... The thing with 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 woven hand is it's like very very like he's has this kind of uh you know intensity that you know is attracting to watch you know because you know like it's not uh put on like you said it's like generally like he's like getting into the music and going hard and like the the band goes hard and i feel like um that it's he's like one of those kind of guys kind of like you know it's like watching michael gear perform or something you know like no matter what they're doing, it's just so intense about what they're doing. That's like, you know, you can sit and watch, you know, uh, him play uh, just an acoustic guitar. And it's as intense as when they got the full band going. It's like super noisy, you know? Same yeah. Thing, same thing with like Michael Gira. Like if you see him playing like his acoustic guitar, it's just as impactful as seeing the Swans 
blowing your ears off you know what i mean <laughs> well it's funny i did yeah i saw one of his solo sets once where he was just playing acoustic guitar and he was very intense he was singing like way louder <laughs> than he needed to be singing in this like small uh, it's actually it's it's an old church called the old church here in portland so we were like sitting in little church pews watching him play and he was very cranky got very upset with the sound guy um and then yeah actually i just saw swans again like a week or two ago because they came through um and yeah i mean yeah he is definitely one of those performers where it seems like he's um in another realm or something for the duration of their set you know the way he's kind of shaking his hands and conducting the band and actually he got cranky at that show too and was like yelling at the drummer like no bring it down bring it down <laughs> yeah he can't be can't be a very easy person to work with that's for sure you know <laughs> yeah but, but i mean i think like you you know what but you're he's signing like, up for yeah he's a fucking visionary and you know what i mean like like michael Guerra, like a visionary musician you know what i mean like what he what he creates is so otherworldly sometimes you know like like and we listen to him talk like i don't know if you have you watched the documentary yes yeah like we watch that stuff i mean it's just like you get the feeling that he's looking at the world from a completely different almost alien type of way you know what i mean like where you're like <laughs> you're like he's he's trying to express himself but it's so he's so out of kind of almost out of sync with normal humans you know what i mean where it's like <laughs> yeah yeah I get, this, I get i can see that he can get frustrated sometimes because he's like and i you know he's you can tell that he's trying to be calm, more calm you know trying to be like express himself but he hears something in his head he's trying to communicate something you know what i mean like and i find that i always find it interesting these kind of artists where they're like um just really seeing things from a whole different viewpoint you know like that like almost outside of oh, a lot of other people you know which is always pretty uh impressive you know yeah yeah i mean swans you know since day one have been a big reference point too um you know there's a lot of um oh yeah maybe we could try this thing that's kind of swansy you know uh just because yeah i i just i mean i love all their stuff uh but yeah i think my favorite swan stuff is it, it all lies in the blend where it's like you have this like part of a song that's kind of pretty almost and then all of a sudden you're just like pounded with this huge swelling you know bursts and these loud pounding drums and um so yeah they're always kind of like they're one of those bands that are always kind of in the back of my brain um as far as you know being a good reference point or um, trying to pull some sort of inspiration from yeah i think that like this um the swans is like a you know just like one of those like key bands you know what i mean like just like that can't um i don't know his influence has been so intense on like every almost every kind of genre of heavy music you know be it black you know black metal whatever like i mean there's so many black metal guys who love swans and reference to swans <laughs> and what they're doing you know yeah and i think i think that's kind of i think in the grand scheme of things where um you know i hope we kind of sit not saying that we'll ever have any kind of influence like swans has had but you know existing in that place where you know swans are swans like i want dry wedding to be dry wedding and i want it to appeal to these 
you know, different um, music scenes, um, you know, because they, they find some value in it for one reason or another. Right. I think that's a, that's a real, <clears throat> um, I, I, I feel like that's a, that's a really like good kind of um, intention to have. It's just like, I'm just going to do our whole thing and not try to appeal to any particular scene, but hopefully be appealing to, you know, a bunch of different people. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's probably the better strategy than being like, I only want to appeal to <laughs> this limited group of people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like the trouble with that is, and, and we've talked about this a lot, you know, as a band, it's just, you know, uh, I think when you're kind of at the stage that we're at, it's, it can be hard sometimes because, you, you know, you don't always know exactly where you fit. You know, if you if you're playing a particular type of music that fits neatly in a scene, you kind of like immediately know what bands you're playing with, what clubs you're playing, what scene you're, you know, kind of um, a part of on a regular basis. And for us, it's never really been that way. And I mean, my last band before this was like that, too. Um, and so it could be, you know, it could be a little uh, disorienting and discouraging at times because you don't really know exactly where you fit but I just at this point I don't know how to do it any differently I don't I mean I could go we could tomorrow drop everything and just write a bunch of like punk songs or doom metal songs or whatever and probably go and do that if we wanted um, but I just I can't I just I just I don't have any desire to do that. And, and I just don't think I could convince myself to do that. So it's like, okay, we'll kind of exist in between all this stuff. And then hopefully one day enough like people spread out across all these different places can come together and say, okay, yeah, this band is, is cool. Right. Um, yeah. I think, I think it's better to, to be yourself and follow your, vi follow your vision and what you want to do than, than, try to fit into something you know what i mean like it is harder though and you know like to be the odd odd one out i mean and this has been one of my experience as doing music the entirety of doing music for the most part even even you know probably the stuff i make in black metal is probably the stuff that probably most fits into something you know but even that i'm doing my own thing and sometimes i'm kind of antagonistic to some of the things that's going on in, in in the black metal world you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah uh, uh but i probably what i'm doing there is probably will appeal to more people than some of the other stuff that, you know like i mean back in the early 2000s i had a um which we're probably gonna start doing some new stuff but i have a band called the silver chord and we were like you know 2006 forming doing something with like a drum machine not really pop at all it was like pretty pretty challenging music in a lot of ways but very noisy a lot of times and whatever like just doing our own thing like completely like doesn't sound like any i mean i don't i don't it doesn't really sound like anybody like at all um and it's like we were trying to play shows in denver at that time and you know there was literally not another band in the same type of anywhere near what we we're doing at all you know we were trying to like maybe see if there's people in the goth world who might be into or whatever but they all wanted to listen to like VMV Nation or whatever, you know, like electronic, like, or that kind of crappy electro industrial type of bullshit. You know what I mean? Like we, so we fit, we were in a 
sore thumb in that world. We were sore thumb in every place we went, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and ironically, we ended up having more people in the metal world who liked what we were doing than anywhere else because probably because it was a little bit, I always bring some of that black metal element to anything I do anyway. So even doing that, we brought into it, but you know, we were like uh, totally. And at a certain point we were just started becoming totally antagonistic to the whole Denver scene and <laughs> the Denver people and, whole bullshit like you know music scene here and and all that kind of stuff which lasts to this day you know like i'm still very antagonistic towards <laughs> what's going on here i mean it's like most of the shit's bullshit so you know like <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's some cool stuff going on in denver though right i guess so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know like with you know 16 horsepower being from there and Right, and open hand and that was that was uh, even before we started you know like yeah horsepower was broken up before even yeah but i mean 16 horsepower had the same experience in denver i mean they were really big and like um out in like germany and stuff like that but they could barely get 20 people to show up their shows here in denver at a certain point you know what i mean i mean they they yeah they're... europe always gets it first i swear like all yeah. the bands that are in between things it it always seems like Europe accepts them and gets excited about them first, and then America eventually catches up, or yeah. in some cases don't don't ever catch up. But um, yeah, I feel like <laughs> I feel like a lot of my favorite uh, bands uh, have have had a similar experience where they they definitely make headway in in Europe uh, much earlier than they do here in the states. So um, yeah. I mean, yeah, even with Woven End, he's a lot more, probably a lot more popular in Europe than he is here, you know? Like, I would say it wasn't until probably the second or third time that I saw Woven Hand that people, that he was, like, bigger in Denver. I mean, like, it took, even here it took a while for, and he's from here, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. It's like, it's my goodness things, like, the, uh, I feel like, um, yeah, there's certain types of things that that uh, that that happens where probably you probably you'd probably have more people be into what you're doing in Europe than here than in. I mean, I don't know how Portland is, but you know, like maybe you know, then you would in a lot of places in the states. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Actually, uh, Ralph uh, has talked to me before about uh, he wants to try and and see if he can help us. Uh, work with a label for this record that we've been writing and and in his mind he hopes that you know it's a european label so then they can get us to come over and play shows in europe um which of course we would absolutely love to do but uh yeah i guess we'll see how that goes it would be cool if you could uh could play with um like go out and play um at the uh like either like Ralph's festival he does like the unholy passion at some point oh yeah yeah or like um or do some shows with ropes of the night because that would be really killer if you could do ropes of night dry wedding like tour or something like that in europe like that'd be really sick like, yeah that's together. that's my next pitch if you're listening to this ralph let's go <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be that'd be really cool if, if that could happen for you guys i mean you know go to europe and play with ropes of night and tour around you know what i mean yeah i mean i think the plan for now is i think next year we want to do um kind of like you know uh 
the like kind of northern portion of the United States. So we'll, you know, we'll probably come through Denver, uh, you know, like make our way from Portland, go through the top of the country to the East Coast and, uh, you know, maybe kind of go halfway down the East Coast and like cut back. Um, we're just yeah. planning on doing like a couple of weeks. Um, so like do you like Portland to Denver and then up to like Chicago and that kind of stuff like to the yeah northeast yeah yeah exactly so that's that's kind of um that's the plan as of right now we actually um uh we've connected with this booker out of Seattle who um has been doing actually a ton of amazing metal shows and post punk shows too uh but he he booked us for like a little three date run back in July and the shows were amazing and he was he's very excited about what we're doing. So he, he reached out to me uh, and, and said that he was interested in helping us put a tour together for next year. So um, I think I'm going to take him up on that. Cause I, you know, I booked the last one and it went really well. I mean, it was an easy lift for me because I grew up in California and we just did, you know, from Portland down to San Diego and back up. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think in order to kind of, push things to the to the next level for us like looping in a, a booker who knows his stuff i think is gonna definitely be helpful right the um yeah i definitely think that 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 like we mentioned earlier i feel like dry wedding is a great band that could be like you could do a tour where it could be you guys with metal bands or you could be touring with some other post-punk band like we mentioned like ritual owls or something like that like you know i feel like you could go either way like you could be a band that you could tour with either ropes of night or ulta you know what i mean like could, I yeah like, and that's I where like i'd love to be yeah. yeah 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 um I, yeah i like i said i do ultimately like sitting in that space it's just yeah sometimes uh, you know we if we play some post-punk bill and there's synth pop bands and then us it can be a little jarring uh, or if we play on like a super intense metal bill, like actually, I feel like that goes a little better. Uh, cause we, you know, we're loud and weird enough. Uh, but yeah, but definitely not tapping into the exact same type of aggression. I feel uh, like, as... yeah, I feel like a black metal lineup would be more fitting than say, like, I, I can see you guys playing with like some technical death metal band or something. Right. But like, if you're playing with a, a black metal band, like or a doom band, like either one of those things could go over real well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think mood wise, they would probably complement each other a little bit than maybe like a, yeah. Technical death metal band or, <laughs> but I would, I'd still do it. <laughs> right. The, um, yeah. One thing that, that you're mentioning too, is like, you're like, obviously we've met, talked about, you know, guys like Roland Howard and Michael Gear and stuff, but you're also really into black metal stuff. Like I know you like, I remember one time you had messaged me about mortuary drape, like because I posted all all the witches gather, gather, all the witches dance and stuff like that. So yeah, like, you're all into you're all into like metal stuff as well, right? Yeah, yeah, big time. Um, yeah, and it was probably right after we talked about that, I grabbed a copy of that, tracked a copy of that down. Um, but yeah, I feel like you know, I growing up, I was you know really into punk, and that was kind of the first type of music I was obsessed with. Uh, you know, most notably like hardcore punk. Um, there was just something about the urgency and the aggression and, and, you know, um, this idea that, you know, you could pick up an instrument and just go and you could be in one of these bands. 
there was just so much of that that appealed to me. Uh, but then, you know, as, as I got older, I started looking into, you know, other types of music and my tastes kept expanding and expanding. And, um, you know, of course, along the way, like there were like classic metal bands and things that I loved too, even when I was like super into punk, you know, there's, I feel like there's just a lot of metal bands that, that like punk kids also just kind of gravitate towards. But, you know, it was probably like six or seven years ago where um, I just I got the the itch to just expand my my metal knowledge. And it's kind of been ever since then. It's just been, um, you know, it's been one of the most constant musical things in my life. Um, you know, I feel like I'm listening to different types of metal, you know, uh, more than anything else um and and buying metal records constantly and um i i think i think for me like what ended up happening was the um, there's a especially with like black metal and like you know we we're talking about earlier about like these black metal bands that infuse these other genres i feel like they're because a lot of bands are experimenting that way it's more interesting to me um like us as a band we like to do weird things with song structures like have kind of twists and turns and things that you don't expect and that's definitely inspired by a lot of the metal stuff that we all listen to um which again i also i think that's why i gravitate towards it is because you know there are just um there's this push and this pull and these twists and these turns and these unexpected things that happen in a lot of metal songs that just make them so uh, dynamic and engaging. And then there's just something about the overall atmosphere of a lot of bands, especially I think for me, like specifically black metal, like there's a lot of it that just the like melancholy atmosphere, a lot of these bands tap into. Um, and then also, you know, like, I, I, we were talking about all these bands that sound genuine when a band, when I can hear like a black metal band and the, the energy is there and it just sounds like it's a sonic expression of, of just the human condition and the difficulties we all face day to day as human beings. Like when that's manifested in this like dark driving, uh, you know, way it's just, yeah, that's, it's hard to it's hard to beat that so right well i think i think that that's one of the things that that i notice with dry weddings music is it has the kind of um non-linear song structure that you see more in metal you know what i mean like metal is the type like as a whole um you know songwriting is is like uh you know bands do all kinds of stuff you know what i mean it's like uh, you have a you know you have bands that don't ever repeat any riffs you know it'll just be like literally like a linear a b c d e you know like just kind of like some bands mix it up you know maybe some bands do have some choruses and stuff you know like but then they go off in weird tangents you know like i think that's that's one of the things that is nice about um metal is that it's very like open in that way where it's like uh you're not writing just like pop songs where every song is verse chorus verse you know like you have like uh a lot of different stuff going on you know what i mean yeah and i mean yeah we we don't really write any songs 
that way, uh, like the verse chorus verse setup. Um, I mean, to the point where like we're, we're, you know, we're finishing up the last couple songs for this new record and there's one we're working on. And uh, I mean, we had this whiteboard and we had all of these parts listed out and all of us were just kind of <laughs> slowly going insane. And we're like, okay, we need to like, we need to scale some of this back. Uh, you know, we need to trim some fat here. And then we ended up kind of just um, like starting over and just like changing the entire attack, you know? So it's the entire approach to the song has changed. Um, and then now all of a sudden it's, it's like opened itself up to us and we're all excited about it again. Cause right. we just decided to uh, just look at it from a completely different vantage point uh and and yeah i mean there's another song too the this the new song like this song um there's this song on the new album that you know we've actually been playing out live for the last year or so so it was like the first one that we wrote that's gonna be on this record but before <laughs> before it was like show ready and we started testing it out i mean i think we did like four different versions of it right and and none of them were just they weren't the right mood. They weren't, they, it just wasn't right. Like there was always one or two people that were just like, ah, oh, like, yeah, I'm not fully connecting with this. I just don't think that this is the, the right way to go. Um, and then we eventually found it. And now it's like, you know, we, we love the song. And like I said, we've been playing it out for a while now. And, and so anytime we, we hit those roadblocks, we're just like, remember that one song we did like four versions and now we love it. Like, let's just remember that that happens sometimes songs happen very quickly and organically. We had a couple recently uh, like that, that we wrote pretty quickly. Um, but then, yeah, there are some that like, they take a little more, more tweaking uh, to get just right. Sometimes probably you like overcomplicate something and you're like, all right, now we got to strip this back. Like we like, we went a little crazy. We added way too much stuff going on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, especially this last one we've been working on, it really, really got to that point. Um, but um, yeah, we were able to fix it before everybody wanted to just give up on it. So that's one thing about like playing some of these technical death metal bands. I mean, so I will give them is that I couldn't play that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Like that's like, you got fucking like thirty parts in that song. You know what I mean? Like I can, that's some crazy shit. You know, like I'm not, yeah. Like the it's hard sometimes. Like when you got too many parts, you're like have to remember everything. You know, like and figure out where everything's going. And particularly when you get that final step of really arranging a song, where you where you have like the little touches, where it's like not necessarily. You know, like, you know, like you have a song where it's like you got the rip and then maybe you add like this little touch of like, oh, here we should need to have this kind of fill in this part of the song or maybe this little sting on the on a second guitar or something. And you have to start kind of remembering all that kind of stuff, too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been it's been cool. I kind of, um, you know, uh, while we're still on like the me. uh love and metal topic uh you know i was kind of talking to my band about this the other day but you know like i was mentioning before there are all these black metal bands that are pulling in all of these different influences into their sound and i'm kind of trying to do the opposite where i have like dry wetting and this thing i'm doing and i'm trying to like pull in like subtle 
you know, like black metal and doom metal influences and things and like putting that into whatever you want to call what we're doing. Um, right. So it's like, I'm kind of trying to like flip the script there um, and, and put those, put those like elements in, in that energy into what we're doing without us full on becoming a black metal or a doom metal band, you know? Right. You're trying to bring in those influences without like, uh, just being like, Oh, now we're having like, now dry wedding has a black metal song, you know, like, yeah. Like, or a black metal <laughs> album or whatever. Yeah. 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 There is, there is a band that, that I knew they were here in Colorado at, when I first started silver core and we played some shows with them called the funeral in the twilight. And, um, okay. When we met, they, they ended up moving, I think to Minneapolis or something like that. But, um, when we, when we first met them, played shows with them, they were kind of sounding like, I guess like Nick Cave meets the Smiths in a way, like if that makes sense, like that kind of vibe. Like I had this kind of Nick Cave vibe, but then they had a few songs that was trying to be like the Smiths a little bit. The singer okay. sounded a lot like Nick Cave type of thing, kind of like in that in that wheelhouse of what like you know dry wedding stuff like that. Um, and then um, they went off to Minneapolis, and then um, they came back, and we went and saw them, and they had straight up completely turned into a black metal band. In the space of like you know five you know three or four years since last time we like and I was like oh wow this is weird like I mean they still had some of those elements of what they were when we you know on their earlier stuff but they had like completely like transitioned into like black metal you know what I mean did did the guy change his voice too yeah like he started doing like I mean he still did some of his his singing voice too but like he did they were doing like screaming vocals and like they literally were like almost a completely different band like the way they sounded I was like. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, yeah. Just yeah. Trans transformation, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because, like, I, um, yeah, I definitely, like, I'm I'm kind of picky about clean vocals in, in metal. Like, they have to be done the right way for it to work for me. Um, I think there are some great bands that do incorporate that sort of thing. Um, but then there are others, like, I hear it, and I'm just like, oh, it's just not, that's not connecting for me. So I think, like, part of it for me too is like, yeah, let's pepper in the metal influences, but like, I want to keep it to where I can keep doing my like croony kind of baritone thing that I do. Uh, but with also like, you know, I, I, I'll throw in some more aggressive portions and stuff too, but I don't think I would ever do like a hard vocal pivot and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. go full, full on like black metal scream. Right. Yeah. I mean, but there are there are those bands like um we were messing earlier you mentioned like rope sect where they kind of have this black metal element but then he's doing clean vocals and i mean there are bands that that manage to to ride that line you know like pretty well and uh i could you know i feel like dry wedding i can hear i could hear you know i could hear you putting in some of this kind of black metal influence particularly like say something like mortuary drape like we're talking about like a lot of their type of stuff that they got going on i could hear like I could hear that melding into something like what you're doing with dry wedding pretty well. You know what I mean? Like as far as like the guitar riffs and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. I actually, um, you know, too, I think about one of the records that I think, you know, did a good job of going between like kind of like a cool baritone vocal. And then this like black metal screech was, um, uh, Gaul's, uh, most recent project. Um, he did like some cool kind of like, baritone singing and then going into like the like black yeah, metal the, yell the gauze beard yeah 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 i just remember hearing like i remember spinning that record and i'm like yeah like that's 
to me, like that's how you do that. Um, yeah, because, like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, for me, with clean singing and extreme, like if you're doing extreme metal, if you're doing black metal, like, um, I feel like um, uh, stuff like what he's doing with, with like what Gall does, or like those kind of bands that use these kind of like chanting singing or like uh, bythos. I don't know if you've heard bythos, but like the you know they're they're kind of doing this type of it's a bit more melodic, like influenced by bands like Cemetery and stuff like that. With like okay. doing like this kind of um, doing it's not quite clean singing. It's kind of like this gravelly singing ish type of thing that sounds really cool. It's Torog from Behexen, and uh, oh okay, yeah. So I definitely would recommend checking out the bythos because he's kind of they're kind of writing that line. It's still black metal but and it's bringing these like melodic elements to it and he's doing these kind of like different type of singing um and, i think uh, it's when bands try to do like the really poppy vocal singing like the really poppy vocal part like oh i'm i'm yelling 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 oh weird very poppy vocal passage back into the yell like i'm just like you that, can you can be like, melodic and it doesn't have to be insanely like like, you know? it, like I mean like all those types of uh those types of like metalcore bands and stuff like I mean I've even heard it in like you know like I feel like certain like black metal bands or whatever will get like X albums into their career and they want to flirt with clean singing because like, I get it like as an artist you want to try new stuff you want to evolve I 100% respect and encourage that but you know I, I'm like I don't know why sometimes people when they they want to sing like a clean melodic vocal they think that it has to be like this like very poppy sounding higher register type of vocal line like you know yeah, I, I don't I, know I, or like you have the bands that were to, to add in the clean singing but it ends up being like almost like power metal singing in a way like you have a black metal band all sense like a power metal like singing going on like it can be a little that can be off-putting as well yeah and that, yeah, that, when you have that pop singing, because I feel like with black metal, if you're gonna have clean singing, it has to still be kind of raw, you know, or rough, you know, like it can't be, it can't be too clean, you know what I mean? Or, you know, when it comes to extreme metal, like I guess like one one singer that I really like in, and kind of more, they're not black metal, but it's like extreme metal is like Nevermore. I don't know if you ever okay. to Nevermore, but like Warren Dane's vocals are he is really good like he's like doing extreme vocals when he's doing a lot of singing and just the way that they make it work is really impressive you know what i mean like so but never never pop singing <laughs> yeah and i mean like i said i i admire anyone who's trying to do something different um but yeah sometimes that stuff doesn't really really connect for me and yeah i think it's just back to the point that you can you can have singing that is like quote unquote melodic but it doesn't have to um yeah sound like it could also fit in like a radio friendly pop song you know um right. you don't have to pick like <laughs> you don't have to pick like yelling or that like there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff in between there you know yeah it's definitely, but I do think that that pop singing type of thing is definitely an influence from metalcore, because all those a lot of those metalcore bands do that, you know, where it's like yell, 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 and then you go into the the pop chorus, you know, like that's like the the metalcore formula, you know what I mean? Like when all those all those like bands do that, you know, 
Yeah, and it, I, it, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I feel like some of that stuff's kind of coming back into, into favor. It seems like. Well, it, yeah, because the problem, the thing is, like all the, I mean, uh, the metalcore generation, you know, who are probably, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I think you're probably around the same age as I am. Like they're a little bit younger than us, right? Like in their late twenties now, early thirties, like the metalcore generation, and it's like. Um, so now they're getting that point where you're getting that first round of nostalgia for stuff from your teenagers. So I think that's why that's coming back. The same reason why new metal is came back a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. But that's, that's like the, that's like the wave of like guys who are in their 40, like late thirties, early forties, like having nostalgia, like, but then you having like these younger kids somehow getting onto new metal because new metal, is also kind of coming back as well. But, yeah it was right. actually it was really interesting i um i went and saw agaloc on saturday and um the opener was this act called thief and it was the dulcimer player from botanist and so i thought it was going to be like some weird avant-garde kind of dulcimer thing but it ended up being this like um it almost yeah, it kind of reminded me of like some of that kind of like late nineties, like I don't know, um kind of like metal, like industrial type stuff. Um and and so like, you know, I mean, he did it well, but I was just like I was not expecting that at all. And, like <laughs> it definitely like took me back to a, a whole different time period. Um that's a real weird opener for Egglock too. Like that that those thing those two things do not compute, you know what I mean? Like some like industrial metal band with uh Egglock, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was like a lot of backing tracks and stuff like that. Um so yeah, definitely like like I don't know, I I feel like I it made me wanna watch the matrix or something you know <laughs> yeah that's real weird yeah it's a weird uh thing for to have before i lock <laughs> my the uh um i was gonna say the uh yeah i feel like for some reason that stuff's getting popular again and you know metal metalcore i mean metalcore has kind of always been there it's still kind of running under the surface but i guess it is kind of i guess getting a bit more popular again for some reason the but you've always had those bands like motionless and white or whatever who you know somehow can sell out you know every tour they go on you know what i mean like there's like all these like 20 year old girl goth girls who like love that band you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean you don't ever even realize it's happening until yeah you see something some flyer online or whatever and you're like oh my god that band is still pulling in stadiums full of people i had no idea um, you know, I think it's so easy to, uh, like if you choose to, it's so easy to ignore popular music now. It's not like, you know, when you and I were growing up or like you'd go somewhere like a shopping mall or whatever place and you would, you would like, you know, you would be confronted with the like, you know, radio songs of the day. Like you, it, there, it was like much more difficult, I feel like to to escape that stuff. And now it's like, you can just be in your own little bubble um, and, uh, and avoid all that stuff at all costs if you really want to. Um, yeah. I think that's a different thing right now is that, you know, like there's not really that kind of cultural 
uh, shared cultural experience. Like there was a up to like maybe the early two thousands, you know, like where you had these types of things going on, and you had groups of people who, where they all like, you know, you couldn't escape it. Now it's like everybody can kind of be in their own little world, and every once in a while you'll be like, oh, you look over and you're like, oh, that's going on too. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's well, it's I don't know. I think like that's that's one thing that I uh, admire about you know all the all the Gen Z kids is that um, they they seem less concerned with with scenes and they seem less concerned with like oh I listen to this genre or I belong to this scene. Um, you know, they kind of just want to express themselves as individuals and they just want to like the things that they like. And so, you know, kind of looping back to existing between genres and scenes and whatnot, I just, you know, uh, it gives me hope because I feel like more and more people are less concerned uh, with belonging to a particular group or, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. They're not, it's not as, um, as restrictive. I think uh, I've always felt kind of like um, the outsider, no matter where I am, you know, like that's, that's always been my experience in almost any situation I'm in, like, um, uh, because I'm always just kind of myself and who I am. And so I kind of go and kind of operate in different worlds, but it's like, I don't feel, you know, I go, say I go to a goth club or something. I don't really feel like I, I connect with a lot of those people go to like a metal thing, like. I don't, I mean, probably I connect more with metal people overall, but there's actually, it's more like there's a particular subsection of people in the black metal that I connect with. You know what I mean? I don't connect with metal people as a whole or black metal people as a whole. Cause there's a lot of people in the black metal who I don't connect with at all. Cause they have this whole different trip going on. You know what I mean? Like, so it's almost like I connect with individuals who also happen to be into things I'm into, but I don't really, I don't feel comfortable like being a, a scene per se or identifying with a group of people because it's like, you know, like I, you know, I've this is just like how I am. I just, I can go to certain things and I'm like, yeah, I just, I feel like the outsider wherever I go, I, I kind of have to connect with certain people as opposed to a whole group, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been that way. I mean, I've, I've always been able to, to get along with, with different types of people and kind of float around. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess with the exception of when I was heavily involved in the punk scene in Southern California, that I was like very much like, I was in, in a your, band that you're in your very, scene there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was in a band that was very active. And so I'd go to shows and I would know tons of people and it was like a whole thing, but you know, I, I, I feel, but then I also got to a point where I, I started to feel really limited by, by everything in that scene. I felt like I, I, I couldn't, um, you know, sing in a way or perform in a way or wear clothes in a way that would fit in with these people's ideas of what punk was. And to me, that was absurd because the whole point was, was punk was supposed to be this, ultimate form of self-expression where you do what feels right for you no, and you don't care what other people think, but yeah. it got really got, it really got to the point where it was like people had these expectations and, and if you didn't have the right uniform on and you didn't like, you know, play in the right band or whatever it, you know, people would, would uh, call you out on that. And I was like, I don't, 
I felt kind of at the time I was very hurt by it because I I thought that everybody had the same idea uh, of of what that meant, and I, I ended up realizing like, oh no, these people they they just want to have a place where they feel like they're connecting with other people, and I I respect that, but I also was like, I don't, I can't um, ag agree with this idea that these things had to to look and be a very particular way um, that just defeated the whole purpose for me. So I, I didn't need the sense of belonging. I needed the, the idea of, um, you know, expressing myself freely. And so I think that's like, there was like a, like a, a disconnect there for me. And, uh, but I've taken those things that I learned from being involved with that and kind of have applied it to, to everything I do ever since, like a very DIY approach to things and, um, you know, kind of just doing things that I feel like are, are authentic to me and not really caring if they perfectly sync up with the scene or, or whatever else is going on. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like, I mean, punk was really inspiring for me when I, you know, first getting into my kind of like my own music, you know what I mean? Like kind of breaking away from what your parents listen to or whatever. And, and, um, you know, like the first type of music I really started playing really outside. My dad taught me, um, when I first started playing guitar, he taught me like, you know, um, I, he was, he grew up with Elvis and Johnny Cash and old blue stuff and Wilson Pickett. And, you know, so that's what I, I learned first in folk music. So like, that's why I first learned to play guitar was learning from my dad how to play, you know, Wilson prison blues and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That's a great start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was like my first thing of how I learned to play guitar, playing like Bob Dylan songs and Johnny Cash and whatever. And then um, from there, when I started branching off into my own things, like punk was definitely like an early thing that I got into partly because my stepbrother was in punk bands and stuff. And, um, and uh, he was one of the, one of the inspirations for me to get playing guitar as well. And I remember, you know him showing me punks a bunch of punk bands i started getting into punk and and you know it was really cool inspiration when you first start playing because it's so simple you know probably when i really begin first influences was the misfits which is still influenced to this day you know really you know dancing my favorite artist so um yeah punk was like that thing where you're like yeah it's cool like it's it's got this kind of fuck you attitude like you know like i was really attracted to all of that but even early on, like when I was, you know, still a kid, basically, you know, fucking 13 or 14, I was started, I was already kind of put off by what I perceived as kind of, and I wasn't even involved with the punk scene per se, but just looking at punk at what it became and how it became like this codified, like certain thing where you can only be this and that. And you have to have these certain, you know, particularly like when it gets more political and it's like, you have to write these types of political things and you have to do this or that. And it's like... I was really put off by that. Cause I was like, I don't really feel like that's what punk started off to be, you know? And so I kind of avoided the punk scene after a little bit, because I also got into more into post-punk and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, like that was at punk. My, my time in punk was pretty short lived really like in a lot of ways, like, um, but you know, and I, when I, when I, when I good friends is, um, my friend, he's an artist, Jack Jensen, he's an artist here. And he was like, um, in the original punk scene in Denver in the seventies, you know, 
and when he talked when I talked to him, I did an episode with him on the podcast about a lot of that stuff about the punk scene in the seventies and stuff in Denver. And when he talked to people like him who were there at the time when it first started, it was totally the opposite of what it became really. You know, it was totally like wild be, you know, just be wild, be, you know, totally like put like offensive, you know, not politically correct at all. Like totally like just kind of crazy shit. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> just like yeah. be yourself and be push push the boundaries and say fuck you to normal society and you know just like really like the opposite of what it had become by the early 90s, you know what I mean? Yeah, well and I mean too even just musically there were um you know like kind of the late 70s early 80s punk bands they were all pulling from um you know all these different influences they didn't have years of punk to look back at and to reference when they were making you know their music so it's like they're pulling influence from the stooges and alice cooper and you know whoever else captain beefheart whatever and and so kind of these like bands that you know, have stood the test of time, these early punk bands, like they all have their own unique sound. Like X sounds like X, the damned sound like the damned, you know, they don't, they were all kind of doing their own thing, but also just being a bunch of artistic weirdos hanging out and, and forming this community. Right. And then, you know, it just got to a certain point with like, you know, hardcore punk, which like I said before was, kind of my bread and butter when I was a teenager, but it definitely kind of turned things into this um, kind of like, okay, one size fits all, like this is the way it's done. Like, you know, and a lot of bands kind of fell into this cookie cutter mold of, of what punk, uh, you know, could sound like. So, you know, and, and it's like, if you, I don't know if you're a fan of the damned or not, but in the, the documentary about them, like Dave Vanian, talks about that and he's just like yeah like after like you know 82 or 83 like all the bands kind of started sounding the same and i thought like what a shame that was because when it all first started it just seemed like all these different people doing like their own version of what what punk was you know yeah exactly yeah that and you see like a lot of even like in the hardcore like some of the bands that kind of helped start kick that off like black flag and even like you know when minor threat broke up and Ian mckay did embrace and you know fugazi you could see these guys who were part of that kicking off of hardcore kind of kicking back against the rules and restrictions that had arisen where they're like no we didn't intend for it to be like you have to do this like and we're gonna like piss you guys off because we're gonna do something totally different you know what i mean like that to me is more punk like when black flag was like no we're gonna do some fucking mix in some black, you know, black Sabbath riffs and Roy Harlong and just try to piss you guys off. Like that was, that's, that's punk. You know what I mean? Like punk isn't like everybody has a uniform and you have to be the uniform and talk about these 10 things and, you know, worry about everybody's pronouns and stuff. You know what I mean? Like that's not really punk. Like punk was like this kind of antagonistic type of individualistic type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I feel like, you know, it's, that that I I def I definitely um, related to to that idea like the black flag mentality of like oh this is what you expect of us you want us to just make damaged part two 
like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna do my war and we're gonna have the whole B side be these like sludgy dirges. Um, because that's what we want to do. And we don't care if you're into it or not. And to me, like, that's the stuff that like, I look back on now and is, is still kind of the most impactful for me. You know, like I mentioned the damned, like, you know, um, they did the same just, thing with like Fantanas and Megoria, where it's like, no, we're just going to do something barely even sounds like, you know, it's not what you think of punk at all, but it's like the, the attitude is there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, they started as like this, like, you know, kind of like rock and roll influenced punk band. And then they became like, then they did songs that's like predated hardcore and that predated like goth, but sounded like those things. And then they, you know, they went into their, their darker material and uh, you know, they're kind of gothy post-punky type stuff, but it's just, yeah. I mean, I, I just really, really admire, you know, those bands for doing their own thing. Um, And I mean, of, of course there's still like classic hardcore records that I love, but yeah, the bands that are like still like my favorite from, you know, the punk world are the ones that were, yeah, they were not afraid to um, kind of branch off and do things the way they thought they should be done. Yeah, I mean, you could think about it in a way that, you know, Susie and the Banshees are probably in their whole career more punk than some punk bands because they like just went off and did their own thing, you know what I mean? And created this other subgenre, but it's still, there's they came from the punk world, you know, is that punk attitude that led them to making this other sound they created or joy division is, you know, they start off as like a punk band and branched off and created this, their own sound, you know, like all those bands, you know, birthday party, you know, like their birthday party is more of a punk band than, you know, certain punk bands I've heard over the years. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I, I still think that the birthday party are, are like more intense than pretty much virtually any hardcore band. Like, I don't think like, they can like I can't really think of any hardcore bands that match the the anger and the intensity of you know the birthday party. Um, you know what's what's real funny is that for me like you know growing up as a teenager hardcore was always for me like eighties hardcore punk stuff like you know like I'm thinking Minor Threat and MDC and you know yeah. that kind of stuff whatever. I didn't realize until uh, I was a bit older that hardcore had morphed into this other thing. So when people were referring to hardcore, they weren't referring to the same thing I was referring to. They're referring to the like the, you know the later like '90s hardcore stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, like the chunky kind of wind windmill kicks, like yeah, hardcore. I, so I was like real confused for there was a, there was like a certain point where I was like really people were like oh yeah, I was in hardcore. And I was like oh what kind? And they're like talking about bands i'm like i don't know what the fuck you're talking about you know and then i finally figured it out that that hardcore now means two different things you know what i mean like it doesn't just mean hardcore punk that that i knew you know (laughs) yeah i would be like no that's not the real hardcore like they stole that name you know i would i would be one of those those guys yeah i get kind of annoyed about it because i was like i don't i guess like that side of hardcore probably spawned out of the late 80s early 90s like crossover hardcore stuff right you know like i guess you know but 
Yeah, and I mean, even, like, a lot of those, like, yeah, like, late 80s, early 90s, like, straight-edge hardcore bands, like, they were definitely getting into that kind of, like, chuggier kind of sound, and I feel like that all kind of just led to that stuff that came came later. Like, it got a little more metallic as time went on, but yeah, uh, just that, like, yeah, that chuggy, like, sort of hardcore thing. Yeah, that was yeah. never really my my cup of tea. Yeah, I didn't really... I kind of gotten some of it a little later on. I found some bands in that that I that I could like, but I always like it's kind of like um, I realized I have to be particular. Like when I'm talking about hardcore, I mean hardcore punk. I don't mean uh, yeah <laughs> the other type of hardcore. <laughs> yeah, I was like I figured that out after a while because I realized that I'd be talking to people and we'd be talking about two different things. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think you and I are on the same page. And then that that really at became extra because then so you know i'm a big fan of a lot of post-hardcore stuff like i love fugazi and cursive and all that you know a lot of those types of things and um uh and you know all, all that kind of that kind of stuff at the drive-in whatever you know all that kind of 80s 90s post-hardcore stuff and then uh, now there of course to add to the confusion post-hardcore is also being attached to bands that are post this other type of hardcore oh really yeah so i, I see okay that's like, news to me yeah so i so i was looking in like wikipedia and i was talking to some about it and i was like now they're saying that stuff like under oath and stuff like that is post hardcore and i was like it's because it's post the second form of hardcore you know what i mean it's like it's like it's like <laughs> taking that second hardcore and then doing the same thing that the original post hardcore did that one i realize so it makes sense in a way but it's real confusing now because it's like when i say post hardcore i'm talking about that particular type of sound that you had in like the, particularly the 90s right and these people and now there's kids now or post hardcore to them is like asking alexandria or something you know what i mean and i find oh, i find that really i found that really like weird mind-blowing <laughs> at one point i was thinking i was like this is real weird <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I immediately thought of, you know, like, yeah, all these like kind of like early 90s bands and stuff. So, again, on the same page as you, but yeah, I had no idea that they were now applying that to the other later hardcore. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so if you go on Wikipedia for post hardcore, it combines the two things. So you'll see these later bands. Uh, post the second version of hardcore and you'll see the original post hardcore bands kind of lumped together in one big long list so it's really kind of confusing oh yeah. boy yeah so i realized, I don't I re like that yeah <laughs> so i realized that not only now not only do i have to that one's even harder to uh differentiate where you're talking to people or you're, to try to be clear about what you're talking about you know what i mean because it's like you can't just say hardcore punk right but i guess you could say post hardcore punk i guess but you know like <laughs> I don't know, I, but you know, when I and I was a teenager, I really liked all that kind of stuff too. You know, before I got more seriously into like extreme metal, I was like into all that stuff, and I go back to it sometimes still. You know, I'm a big fan of like Fugazi and stuff like that. You know, yeah, like I was really attracted to. I guess I like a lot of those types of things where it's pushing stuff further, like you know, post punk, post hardcore, post rock, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, it's funny though, like so, like. When I first got into black metal, I'd already listened to like Mogwai and Siguros and all these post rock bands. 
Yeah. And when I started getting into black metal, I was like, I could hear where those two things could intermix, like in my head. And then of course, lo and behold, you know, that's that those two things started combining together. And now I'm fucking sick of post post rock black metal. Like I can't stand it anymore. If I hear some banding post rock stuff in black metal, I'm like instantly like off, you know, most of the time. Like because <laughs> it's just like it's so trendy, you know what I mean? <laughs> There's two yeah. bands doing that. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I, I hear you on that. Um I mean I feel that way about like um I started to feel that way about like shoegaze influence things. Exactly, like, yeah, me too. Like shoegaze post punk, shoegaze metal, like all of it. Like I'm just like, okay, no, I don't I can't care I, about this. I just I don't I, have the energy. I liked it at first <laughs> because I you know, I was a fan of shoegaze, you know, and I could hear where those things combine together in a cool way. So when it first happened, I was kind of into it, but then it's become so it's, there's just so many poser bands doing that type of thing. You know what I mean? That it's just like at this point, I'm just like, I can't I can't deal with it anymore. Like, you know, like this kind of shoot black gaze stuff, shoe gaze, black metal, shoe gaze, whatever. Like, I'm just like, it's too much now. It's like because it's too easy of a sound to copy. So you hear these bands just doing it. You know what I mean? Like. Well, it's like if you can do something interesting with it, fine. But if you're going to like hit one chord on your guitar and then put a delay pedal on it and just let that hang for like two minutes, like I don't care. Like I can't find that interesting. <laughs> like I just I don't I don't want you to be like the edge of shoegaze and just like let your pedals do all the work for you and have it be just like this boring, like big old whatever mess yeah that's what i mean by it being too easy like there's so many bands that are just copying that shoegaze thing because they just they're like oh i can just put a bunch of pedals on it and nobody you know and it's like you know like it just seems like that became like the real trendy super trendy thing to do at a certain point was let's just make shoegaze everything you know we're just gonna make shoegaze in every single fucking genre and you know it's like kind of ruining something that i actually really liked you know what i mean (laughs) yeah Cause I was really, I, you know, I really used to, I mean, I still like, you know, slow dive and all that kind of stuff. Right. Like those early shoegaze bands, but I also, yeah, I just kind of got burned out on that. This became so like, uh, so oversaturated with just tons and tons of shoegaze things as time went on. And yeah, like when it comes to newer shoegaze, I do like that one band were it's like W H I R R. That one's pretty good. Cause it's actually still pretty heavy sounding at the same time. I don't know if you ever heard them no yeah like that that's a good uh, they're like a good newer shoegaze band i mean they're not they've been around for like 10 years or something but yeah like they're, okay they're one band that that is a newer and that's probably because yeah they add a little bit of that kind of heaviness because for me like a lot of the shoegaze that i liked the best from the 90s was uh i liked like catherine wheel who added like a lot of metal to yeah, what yeah. Doing. and i liked um like early Starflyer 59, like that first Starflyer 59 album is like super fucking heavy. And you know what I mean? Like I kind of liked it when Shoegaze was bordering into that heavy type of thing, like kind of like a Deftones ended up kind of bringing in as well, like this kind of heaviness to it, you know? Like, yeah. I, I'm more down with that. I think than washes of fucking delay guitar, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like let's just uh, let's just have twenty delay guitars and think and imagine their heads that were Kevin Shields, but we're never going to be Kevin Shields, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that was just like the issue. Like, I think that's, you know, he did that so well. And, but he's like a very intense, unique <laughs> person that, that like, I, I don't, yeah, I, that's a tall order to try and um, replicate that. My, my other issue with, say, like, shoegaze and black metal combined together is that, okay, when I'm listening to shoegaze music, that's a particular type of mood that, that, you're, that you're in that I think has, it's more human, right? Where when I listen to black metal, I don't really, I feel like black metal is more evil and inhuman sounding most of the time. For me, what I want from black metal, you know, I want it to be evil, aggressive, you know, it's a whole different type of mentality. It's one, you know, than shoegaze music. You know, what I mean, like most shoegaze music almost is kind of like, you know, it's about relationships and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like it has that type of feeling where I don't go to black metal for that. So like for me, like when you're trying, when bands try to combine these two things together, it doesn't musically it can work, but then the vibe for me is wrong because it's like I don't go to listen to black metal for this type of feeling. You know what I mean? It's also the issue I have a lot, with a lot of depressive black metal bands where it's like, you know, I can like what they're doing musically, but it's a, it's not really the same thing. You know, I can listen to that more when I'm in the mood to listen to shoegaze than when I want to listen to black metal, if, if that makes sense, you know, like. Yeah. And so I have sometimes I feel like a lot of, I don't sometimes I feel like these shoegaze black metal bands aren't really what I would call black metal it's like something else you know which is fine they can do whatever they want but it's just like for me i kind of separate those two things you know <laughs> yeah i mean i i mean i could definitely see um you know certain other genres or subgenres uh complementing black metal a little better like um like i mentioned earlier like there are some cool bands doing like a a southern gothic black metal kind of thing like um have you heard that band primeval well no uh yeah, there's this guy. Yeah, there's this guy in Kentucky. His name's Ryan Clackner. He's in like he has like at least like a dozen projects and has a label and puts out all his stuff. But like a couple of the main ones are are Primeval Well and Vile Haint. And um, it's like cool because it's um, it's like kind of tapping into this like Kentucky like bluegrass Southern Gothic thing, but mixing it with black metal and it's like to me like those things can click in my brain right like you're just imagining like the backwoods of kentucky and you know like um you know when you're listening to it and so stuff like that for me clicks or like a lot of the bands that do like the folky you know stuff in their black metal that makes sense in my brain um because i think like inherently folk is you know, I mean, the origins of folk music are like, I mean, the lyrics and whatnot are pretty dark. Um, so like all that stuff kind of, like I said, it, it, it computes in my brain. But I could see like you were saying, if if you associate shoegaze with this mood and then black metals, this mood, the, the two together could be like, OK, what mood am I in? Am I connecting with either of these? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like and. I've always felt like um, there's, there's a few bands who kind of do this, but I really always had this idea that it'd be cool to do a real swampy black metal where it feels like you're in like, you know, New Orleans, like you're kind of bringing in some of that Danzig 2 type of influence and into your black metal, like, you know, 
a little bit of Verathron, like his Majesty at Swamp, a little bit of Danzig, a little bit of like that kind of, you know, slower, groovier type of stuff going on. I always feel like that would be a cool, cool type of thing to do at Black Metal as well. Yeah, no, I think you should, you should definitely check out. I'll send you some of that guy's stuff. He does some cool, it's like he has a bunch of different projects where he takes different elements of like Southern Gothic influence and, and, you know, these kind of like bluesy country elements but like each project like uh uses them differently like you know like one's a little more forward with that one's a little more in the background uh and then he's got some other projects too that uh kind of don't incorporate that stuff as much but most of his projects do kind of mix this kind of like backwoods kentucky meets like black metal thing um but yeah, you mentioned Verathron. I'm, I'm, I should like they just came through Portland and I didn't go, and I'm still kind of kicking myself over that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wish I could have seen them. They didn't, they didn't come, come to Denver. Like I would have had to travel down to, down to Texas or something. Uh, I, I was thinking about it, but I wasn't really able to go. But yeah, like um, it would have been cool to see them. You know, like I, uh, yeah, I really loved his man she's the swamp that first album is my favorite like it's a really killer killer band you know like because i'm yeah. i really like that um i was i've mentioned a few times in the podcast but it's like there's this kind of strata of black metal bands um from the early 90s that um i guess like like uh like paul any always from profanatica talks about how there was like this kind of strata of bands that was existing a lot of them pre-existing the norwegian scene but the norwegian scene kind of blew up because of all the notoriety but yeah you had, you had like the american bands like you know profanatica and and vaughn and uh you know whatever like demon c and all those kinds of bands and you had like uh across europe you had like samuel and the greek bands like verathron and you know finland you had like barathrum and beharit and you know like you had these kind of bands existing across that were kind of doing this other thing with black metal, which was different from what the Norwegian bands were doing. And I don't think that, I mean, Norwegian, the Norwegian thing kind of ended up taking over a little bit, you know, where it's like every, suddenly like what the Norwegians were doing was the black metal sound, you know what I mean? For a while, like, you know, in the nineties, like everyone had to sound like those bands or, you know, but really like, black metal already kind of had this other thing going on, you know, like at the same time. And I think the two things can coexist just fine, but I feel like it's really interesting to delve into all those other bands that are doing these different things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's actually, I'm like connecting different dots throughout our conversation, but that's actually one thing that I really respect about dark throne is like, they've, they've kind of taken on this attitude of, we're going to do whatever we want and we're not like beholden to this like sound we helped popularize in the nineties. We're going to like mix in these different subgenres of metal and make records that we want to listen to, uh, you know, and I know some people have different opinions about later dark throne records and whatnot, but I, I just really, I do really respect them for, um, for kind of just being like, yeah, like take it or leave it. Like this is what we're doing now. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, when it comes to later Dark Throne, I really like uh, I like Arctic Thunder and I like uh, Old Star. I like those two albums a lot. Um, Underground Resistance is okay. Uh, it has some good songs on it. The albums between The Cult is Alive and uh, whatever the album was before, 
uh, maybe Circled Wagons or something like that. That 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 block of albums that has a couple songs that like I don't really I'm not a big fan of that that particular era of Dark Throne, but you know that there are good songs on those albums at the same time. You just have to you just have to kind of accept that it's different from the earlier stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just like you know it's like you know we were talking about earlier how like you know metal fans are you know by and large open-minded and they're they're interested in other types of music they're interested in in metal that um incorporates these different elements but there's definitely still i mean like any music scene really there are definitely still those purists that really just want it to be like that that very like strict definition of that thing and don't really want it to stray too far from it yeah as I've gotten older, I've kind of veered into it a slightly different direction, somewhat inspired by uh, actually stuff like um, some stuff like Euronymous was talking about in the 90s, which was that his vision for black metal was that black metal was the um, not a sound. It wasn't a particular sound. It was the lyrical themes and atmosphere and concepts behind it. So it was like it has this dark, evil particularly a satanic or occult atmosphere, like, you know, then that's black metal, you know? So he's like, even so far, I guess, is one time telling somebody that even he felt like Diamante Glass was like more black metal than some, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, like, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with metal, but the vibe was black metal, you know? Now it's something that a lot of those guys were talking about and it wasn't really like just sound, you know? And you can see that even with what Euronymous was signing, you're signing people like Psy, you know? You know yeah. Like, yeah, like merciless and sigh and like stuff like that. You know what I mean? It wasn't really uh, focusing on, oh, I need to get a million Dark Thrones and Mayhems. You know what I mean? Like that, I don't think he wanted bands to sound like him. It, the whole thing was that all his old Norwegian guys were even saying, like, all our, we all wanted our bands to be different and sound different and have our own thing going on. It wasn't, but have be connected by this underlying energy or feeling that we were trying to create. So it was like to them, like death metal was supposed to be music about death and, you know horror movies and this types of this type of morbid atmosphere and black metal had this other thing which is more occult and sinister and you know what i mean like so what the music sounds like is almost less important than the atmosphere and i kind of as i get older i've kind of become more and more in that lane even though sometimes it puts me at odds with a lot of people today where they rate everything by just the sound or i'm like just because something sounds black metal doesn't mean it's black metal. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I am now. Like, I'm kind of like, but it doesn't mean it's bad. This doesn't mean it's not necessarily black metal because black metal is this vibe, this feeling, you know what I mean? As opposed to a sound, you know? Yeah. I mean, I actually, um, yeah, I recently got a copy of that Merciless record and I just, yeah, I was very um, just excited by the idea that, you know, Euronymous put that record out and that um, I, I was just thinking about people like, you know, now discovering that for the first time and being like, what? Like kind of confused about it, but it kind of reinforcing that point that, uh, yeah, things don't have to be colored by numbers. They don't have to all look and sound the same, but there's like something they're, they're tapping into that's the through line, you know, but they like not all these bands should sound or look the same because what a boring world that would be, um, <laughs> you, you know, and it's like it's it just seems like, yeah, a lot of these scenes like punk, uh, you know, 
second wave of black metal, all this other stuff. It's like, it started off with this idea, like, let's just all use the same like jumping off point and, and express ourselves in a unique way. Um, and, and then it just got to the point where like, you have so many years of that thing now to look back at. And so now there's like this, for some people, at least like this rule book or uh, guidelines that you should uh, be following or you're not doing it correctly. <laughs> but yeah, like, I think the thing that I find ironic about some of these people is that they're basing a lot of it off the exterior form of something. So they're looking at the outside of something and saying it has to be like this, but not looking at underneath the hood at what's actually going on, if that makes sense. So it's like uh, the intention is with a lot of this stuff, be it punk or black metal when it started, even death metal is like, it's about the energy, the thing of what you're creating, not the exterior form of what you're creating necessarily, you know? So like I said, black metal was supposed to be this energy, this vibe, this atmosphere. A lot of them were sharing in the same influences, but then like you got to create your own thing from that. And they're not really trying to copy each other. And it's kind of like, uh, it's about like the, the inner essence of what they're trying to create right but then you have these people come along later these kind of purist people supposedly and they're looking at the completely just at the outward form of something like well you have to look this way you have to sound this way lyrics have to be about this like you know just looking at the exterior form of things and not actually paying attention to the true essence of something you know what i mean and that's that's where I think it's funny because you get somebody who's like supposedly a purist about something and they're really just a purist about like because they decided in their head that the exterior form of something has to be this where the guys who created the whole genre of music want didn't that does the opposite of their intention, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's I think that's like the part that's, you know, uh most disappointing is, you know, you're just like, oh man. That's not what they, that's not what they want at all. I mean, like you mentioned minor threat earlier, like straight edge wasn't supposed to become some movement based on, you know, the like three minor threat songs that were about not drinking and smoking, um, you know, but there were people who took that as this like rally cry and they ran with it and they made it this like scene where the violence was involved. And it's like, you know, um, I went to a Q and a once with, with Ian and he was just basically commenting on that. Like he was just like, I didn't want any of that to happen. I didn't want anything to do with that. I never even said I was straight edge. I said, yeah. I have this, I have the straight edge. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't like a label I put on myself, but I think that's the issue is that people get so uh, caught up in labels and they need to have a label attached to something because that's how they assign meaning to that thing. Or that's how they, uh, develop an understanding for that thing but labels can be so limiting and they can come with a lot of preconceived notions and so for me I hate I hate when people are like oh what what type of band are you in or whatever because I just I know what I say is gonna it's gonna be loaded in some way depending on that person's particular musical background and so like at one point I just started calling us like a post cowpunk band <laughs> because I'm like, I'm like, no one else, there's like, that's not even a genre that anyone I know of has used. And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, we pull from cowpunk influences, like the gun club, 
but it's like this post version of that because it's like darker and weirder and whatever. So there you go. I'm just going to say we're that. And then people will kind of look at me funny, but I'm like, at least now <laughs> it's not tied to, you know, any one particular thing that someone's going to automatically draw conclusions about. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you got to kind of sell, you have to kind of find some type of label just to, just to fucking head it off. Yeah. Like, just like, yeah, this is what we are. So, you know, take it or leave it. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, and it's like, you know, like I can say that to someone like you and you'll get what I'm talking about, but like, if someone's like not, doesn't even know what post-punk is or whatever, uh, you know, it's like, you have to distill it down even further and be like, yeah, it's like the dark rock music <laughs> or like, you know what i mean you yeah. gotta like or even with like post-punk you'll say that to certain people and they'll be like oh so it's like the cure and i'm like no and they're like oh it's like joy division and i'm like no it's like but post-punk has become kind of this big catch-all uh you know genre label where it's like you can have a band like the birthday party and the cure that are both called like a post-punk band uh you know and they sound yeah very different so um yeah yeah and post songs are very very wide wide ranging of of things yeah it's uh like um i found that too like it became really hard to uh you just kind of certain types of things just kind of yeah like dark rock you know and it's like <laughs> you make up that way you will you know like you know it's it's dark and it's rock so <laughs> yeah it's like it's brooding it's moody i don't know it's got guitars and drums in it you know <laughs> like i don't know like so a lot of times i'll just be i'll just tell people like oh i'll just send you a link and you can tell me what you think it sounds like like i yeah. don't even want to answer the question like just listen to it yeah and listen to it when i'm not around because i don't want to be there while you try and dissect try the, the music it. that i made yeah i don't want to <laughs> see the look on your face as you're trying to piece it all together yeah i think that's a lot of times the best thing i always hate with with you know with my black metal stuff i can at least be like it's black metal you know it's 100 percent is what it is but with everything else i've made i and our i mean i'm just kind of like it is what it is like you know listen to it no, you let you yeah, you let me know what you think it is because it's like I could tell you what I was going for. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like I kinda what I did with today when I sent you the warlocks I was like this, this way, you know, kinda gave you an idea of what I was going for, but like I don't even know how to label what I what I made there. You know, even objectively when I listen to it, I'm like it's it's its own thing, I guess, you know? Like and that's I prefer that that I can say that with that kind of stuff because that's kind of what I was going for. I was trying to create something that was my own thing, you know yeah it's like it's interesting like people will uh you know come up after shows and and they'll they'll sometimes tell me like oh it reminded me of this or it sounded like that and people that are into you know uh who are are into the stuff that we're into they'll they'll make the reference points that that totally makes sense right they'll be like oh it reminds me of you know crime in the city solution or it reminds me of you know nick cave or um you know woven hand or all of these things and i'm like yeah. cool like yeah like i'm glad you're hearing that then there's like a layer underneath that where like people don't know about all that stuff but yeah they know like danzig so they'll be like oh your voice kind of reminds me of danzig and i'm like okay like i can see that's like a croony thing sure yeah. um and then like <laughs> even like <laughs> further down it's like oh like 
oh, you got like a desert rock thing going. It reminds me of Queens of the Stone Age. And I'm like, no, that's not. I mean, um, I know my bandmate Jared uh, has pulled influence from them, you know, in his in his past. So maybe there's a little bit from that, you know, from him in there. But like, I'm just like, no, that's like not a reference point for me at all. And then like, <laughs> then, it, then it like gets even further from there, you know, like, oh, you sound like Chris Isaac or whatever. And I'm like, okay. It, yeah. just, you know? it's, it's like somebody trying to just uh, figure out from what whatever reference points they got. Yeah, it can. It, yeah, it's kind of you, you're like, it kind of gets more and more like vague as it goes on, like when people don't really know what to reference it to at all, you know? Yeah, but then like when people say stuff like um I've had a handful of people mention Scott Walker and that's always like the one that floors me because he's my favorite singer of all time. And so I I you know, I I'll, I'll never be able to get to the Scott Walker level, but if someone can pick up on the fact that I'm trying to channel that in some way, I'm very flattered. So yeah, I'm a really huge fan of Scott Walker as well. I like I love all of his stuff like his old uh earlier more like whatever like you know like was the string you know i'm like whatever that 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 genre of music is called that that he did when he first started the kind of crooner baroque stuff. pop baroque pop whatever it's called i mean um i'd associate that with the 60s and 70s it was like when that kind of stuff was around i mean he was like the best at that you know bringing in like jacques brel and all that kind of stuff and then up to his newer stuff like i mean i remember getting the drift when it came out and being like just forward by that album like to this day it's just so fucking dark and menacing and eerie you know what i mean like it's probably yeah one, it's probably like i feel like the drift is probably to this day probably one of his most menacing albums you know i mean they literally have a part where he's pounding on meat for me like for me the later scott walker like tilt and the drift and bush bosh like to me that's like Francis Bacon's paintings made into music, you know? Oh, for sure. The yeah. Feeling, and the feeling I get when I look at Francis Bacon's paintings is the feeling I get when I listen to the drift, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like I, yeah, I, de my entry point to him was, you know, Scott four. And so I fell in love with, with that era of his stuff first uh, and still very much love that. I mean, that's where I, I try to pull vocal influence from when he's singing in that beautiful baritone. Yeah. Um, but the yeah the later records i mean i think i think those are like darker and more challenging than a lot of the intense metal stuff that i love like i think that shit is scarier um and like darker than than a lot of the metal stuff that i that i listen to uh, it's just like i mean he kind of what did he say something about how it was like blocks of sound where it's like it's the structures are just like these big chunks. Um, and so when you get hit with one of those shifts and there's just like these like strings that sound like they're like crying out for help. <laughs> and like his voice is like, you know, he's got like this vibrato and it's like he's singing about, you know, singing about husk dolls dipped in blood and like what like i'm just like we're ah! singing about like uh Fred mussolini and and his wife being strung up and stuff like that you know like <laughs> yeah yeah like, so i mean i love like yeah i love all that stuff i love the the early croony stuff i love the like crazy stuff he did uh later in life um i, I just really admire him and the way his his career 
um you know yeah uh, i think i think like uh i first heard about him because my dad had one of the walker brothers records you know okay. real early stuff. so i heard that and then later on i got the looking for europe compilation the neo-folk compilation and that has angels of ashes from Scotland. Oh, okay so i think it's three or four and uh, I heard that, and I was like, really liked that. So then I went and you know bought all of the early stuff, and then then I was around the same time the drift came out, so I picked that up and was introduced to uh, to New Skywalker. I was like, uh, you know, I love it. I mean, I've always, you know, I was the I was the type of kid who's like 13 years old listening to Nine Stars and New Bouton. So like, you know, I'm into that too. I love like noise music and you know dark ambient and crazy challenging experimental music as well you know so scott walker's stuff is like you know i'm really into that and i really have to respect any guy who as he gets older gets more extreme you know? yeah right i mean it's, like, <laughs> it's it's a trajectory that you don't really see very often and also because he i mean he was like one of the biggest musicians you know on the planet and was just like, no, that's not for me. I'm not interested in in that. I I want to kind of go over here and do and do my own thing and and feel passionate about uh, what I'm creating again. Um, and I just, yeah, I just think the way he went about things, um, and that's just the way, yeah, he transformed over time. It's just, it's very inspiring. Yeah, yeah, like he's that. I can see myself going around more that trajectory if you get older and you get like more extreme and like less like like that that's kind of I feel like that's probably more of my trajectory than uh than getting nicer as you get older, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Yeah, I mean like get more confrontational as you get older. <laughs> I, like I I was like on board with the bad seeds forever and then these last couple records, like I haven't really been interested and it's because it's the the opposite trajectory right it's like nick cave went from having these albums with all of these different uh sounds and and you know one song is this beautiful kind of ballad and then the next one's this like pounding you know stomping kind of angry thing and then you know it just there were so many dynamics and then now it's like i feel like it's like okay let's like press some keys on the keyboard and then i'm gonna like find some old notebook and like sing some lyrics i wrote three years ago over <laughs> over this keyboard you know phrase you just improvised and that's the song and i'm just like i get it like i get you've been making records forever and you need to approach things differently and you're maybe burned out on the old way of doing things i i can respect that but i just yeah i i think i'm more interested in um you know, like a David Eugene Edwards, who seems to be kind of getting weirder as he gets older. Um, Scott Walker. Um, I, I feel like that is, uh, it, it's a little more intriguing to me. And I'm not saying like, I think a lot of people when they get older, it's not like you're going to maybe like, like yell or have the same type of anger necessarily, but you can definitely still, um, evolve in a in a strange or uh you know kind of uh, unexpected way yeah what's well, like um you know i'm a huge david bowie fan as well and i always appreciate you know in the 80s he did his like pop sellout period to like basically buy all of his purposely to buy all of his music and put himself in a better financial place and you know i can respect that but then in 90s he comes back with 
outside which is probably my favorite bowie album you know it's the most challenging intense and dark album you know what i mean and it's like you know right up to when he did black star you know i mean like that album is super challenging and really i mean a song like lazarus like is so eerie you know particularly knowing like he you know he's gonna die but yeah even, even without that it's just such a that album is so out there you know what i mean i mean that was his final statement you know like like i feel like uh that's that's more i can i like that more than you know like he said nick cave nick cave i'll be honest my cutoff with the bad seeds is uh maybe the boatman's call i really don't, okay i don't know pretty much anything after that like you know i've barely listened to any of those albums after the boatman's call and that one i don't even really like that much either so like uh you know so there's there's like a lot of albums i've only listened to maybe once and i don't really particularly know you know what i mean like uh like i have a friend who's like fucking nick cave mega fan and so i heard like um i think his last album the one that came out in like 2019 or whatever a bunch hanging out with him it's like a kind i kind of liked it but i never listened to it on my own you know what i mean like yeah like i was never like i didn't really like push this guy away like i feel like all of his last few albums have been these like real meditative brooding things that don't really speak to me really you know like i'm more into i'm i'm more into like uh you know henry's dream and tender prey or you know i guess i guess i'm more into nick cave when he was heroined out and crazy than i am to nick cave as a you know 60 year old man you know you know whatever writing songs in the suit you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah i like i sometimes refer to it as like desperado nick cave like when he's like writing about like running around with the mayor's wife in the small town and like, you know, like just, yeah, like, um, you know, like Henry's dream kind of era lyrics, um, yeah. you know, that, that stuff that I'm always interested in and, and that I kind of tap into in my own way. Um, Henry's, like dream, this, Henry's dream is like this. Yeah. It's like that spaghetti Western vibe, you know, which I fucking yeah. love, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's like, yeah, that's the, like early '90s stuff, like Henry's Dream, Let Love In, like th that's like I think peak, peak bad seeds for me. Um, just because, like I said, there's so much variety, you know, uh, even just within one album. Um, I think so. I think my thing too is I guess my cutoff when I look back at it is when Blixa Barguild left. You know, like after Blixa left, you know, from Answers a New Bouton, like I feel like some of the uh, out there musicianship stuff started dropped off. Like, I feel like his influence with the bad seeds was like really key with what they're doing, you know, particularly at that point when you got Blixa, you got Mick Harvey, you got like Kid Congo, you know what I mean? Like you got these fucking amazing players on stuff like Let Love and, and I think that really elevated what he was doing at that point. You know what I mean? And added all these weird elements to it, you know? Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, I know. I think Blixa left after Nocturama, which is an is an unfortunate uh, note to go out on. Um, I mean, it's a good record, but it's kind of commonly panned as their worst album. Yeah. Um, and then, like you know, um, McCarvey stuck around for a little while after that. Um, but yeah, I I always felt like too after McCarvey left you know he was such a like vital part of that band just like 
coming up with these string arrangements and like, and just like being kind of a jack of all trades and having this kind of understanding of music in this broader sense. I always felt like he's kind of like the underappreciated uh, member of like, you know, the birthday party and the bad seats. Cause it's just, he did so much for those bands, but you know, um, doesn't get a whole lot of credit. He, he, was um, a, he was like the connecting link, you know, like that's like the, he was like the glue that kind of held everything together in a lot of ways, you know, going from the birthday party into the bad seeds. Like it was really Mick Harvey, who is like the thing that kind of helped congeal everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, even like, I, you know, I said, I saw that documentary last night and they were basically talking about how Mick Harvey was like the only sober one in the band like he like he didn't do really do drugs he didn't really drink like he, he so he was like fully aware of all the stuff as it was <laughs> happening around him which like you know now that i'm thinking about it i'm like wow like what uh like That's... what a thing to bear witness to right but like they were talking yeah. about how like yeah in the studio because he was like sober he was kind of like the one that was like being efficient and, and kind of like mapping things out and making things happen because, you know, he wasn't over in the corner, nodding off or uh, out looking to score or whatever, you know? Yeah. One, one of my favorite birthday party album. I really liked the last album um, that they did. The one that kind of was already, it was like basically a bad seas album, essentially like that, that was probably, that's probably like my favorite birthday party album in a lot of ways like because the vibe on that like when we're talking like that swampy type of thing that was like straight up like had that uh swampy dark vibe to it you know what i mean yeah they did the the bad seed and the mutiny ep those two eps towards the end yeah it's uh, like, and then it's like, like it's like the album yeah, that combines those two together you know what i mean that's why i'm thinking yeah. of an album yeah yeah and then blixa was like kind of a member of the birthday party at that point and played on I was, a few of those songs. I just always loved that that CD that had those two EPs on it. Like, yeah, I mean that's probably my favorite stuff that I I go back to the most, just because it's it's a really great balance between that like intense anger and this kind of like somber, uh, you know, swampy kind of deal. And so, yeah, I feel like. For me too, that's probably my my favorite stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I like all their all three of the uh, the the albums as well. But like, um, yeah, probably that one I think I like the best because it's just like more moody, you know. But I always also like the fucking psycho vibe of the older stuff too, you know, like Nick. The oh yeah, Nick the Stripper, and you know all that kind of stuff like that that song like always you hear that song for the first time and you'll, you'll always remember that that the lyrics of that song you know <laughs> oh yeah for sure he's <laughs> a fat little insect this <laughs> 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 is so fucking crazy i just want to if i could time travel back in time i would like to see the birthday party when they're at the craziest and nick cave's like kicking people and you know, like they're just like antagonizing the crowd and, you know, just going crazy. Like, I'd like to see that, you know, I don't know. I like bands when they're antagonistic to the crowd. Like, I think it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it seemed like they really fed off that for a while, it, but then if, it, it kind of turned that corner and they're like, we're tired. This is becoming routine now. It doesn't feel, you know, like it kind of lost. 
Yeah. If you can't, but if you got that edge where it's like, if you can't win them over, just fucking try to try to piss them off, you know, like, or drive them out, (laughs) you know, like, like, I've done I've done that a few times in bands where you're like, ah, these people are not into what we're doing, so let's just piss them off and get them out of the venue. <laughs> like, you know, like whatever, and fucking, you know, fuck these people, you know, like that kind of vibe. I always think that's that. I like that, you know, is that Stooges Iggy Pop thing as well, you know, or yeah. I mean, when it becomes like a the a shtick where people are like, oh, we need they come for the abuse you know like that's when it becomes kind of stupid but like when it's like for real you know i always think there's like uh i don't know i like a band who's not who's willing to piss people off you know what i mean sure yeah like because because you know like fuck them you know <laughs> just feel like uh that that kind of attitude i think i can i i don't know i think it's in uh it's very very rock very punk you know you know what i mean Sure, yeah. So I would have liked to seen I just would have liked to see birthday party at their peak and uh just the energy that they had, you know. Like I would just like to like to experience that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've I've made a similar comment before where like, yeah, if I could travel back in time to see like one band like kind of at their their peak, I think it would probably be them. Um <laughs> Did you like the grinder man thing that Nick Cave did where he tried to kind of go back to that a little bit? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I have the, I have the grinder man records. Um, I, I like them. Um, you know, yeah, it's got like, actually I saw, I saw grinder man. I think I saw grinder man before I saw the bad seeds the first time. Um, and so that was actually pretty exhilarating because in my mind I was like, okay, this is the closest I'll ever get to see that kind of, you know, more wild energy, um, from Nick cave. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was, a it seeing them live was a great experience. Um, uh, yeah. So, and, but then I've seen the bad seeds multiple times and then, you know, he still has very, great energy with them as well so right i guess the one thing i'll say is that <clears throat> i'd prefer a guy getting older with grace and you know accepting the fact he's getting older and not trying as opposed to you know some of these bands where uh they get older and they're still trying to act like they're in their 20s live and it just not, it's pathetic you know what i mean like like you see these bands where they're like in their 40s if you know there's 50s almost now and they're out there like trying to act like they're still 20, you know? And you're like, and it just doesn't work. You're like, I prefer an artist like realizing that they're getting older, accepting that fact and adapting to it and still trying to, you know, put on a good show while knowing that I, I'm not, I'm fucking 60 years old. I'm not going to be rolling around on the ground or whatever anymore. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I, and I do like, you know, even though I mentioned like maybe the last couple bad seats records haven't really grabbed me. I, I do have a ton of respect for, for Nick cave and, and kind of how he's, he's moved through his life and his artistic endeavors. And, and because it does seem like it's very authentic to him and so like, I, I can really respect him treading that path. And then like, also, um, yeah, just like live, like he'll just sit down behind the piano and do a tune and then he'll like get up and he'll be like in the crowd and running around and have all of this 
really incredible energy. And so it's just, you know, um, I, I, like I said, I can, even if uh, the last couple albums haven't necessarily resonated with me, I really um, respect him for kind of treading the path that feels best for him and him doing things in a way that, um, yeah, that I think, you know, like you were saying, are, are done in this graceful kind of way. The one, the one thing before before we go, I want to talk about is Leonard Cohen because I heard that you're you're a fan of Leonard Cohen, right? Like yes. That, yeah. So it's yes, like, I am. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a really huge Leonard Cohen fan. Like, you know, particularly, I mean, my favorite albums from him is obviously the first. I love the first album, songs Leonard Cohen. I love uh, songs of love and hate. You know, but that's probably my favorite Leonard Cohen album because you got Avalanche and. All these songs, you know, all these songs like that, like to just like, I don't know, like speak to me in a real deep way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I am. A, I am a huge Leonard Cohen fan. I think that um, I don't I don't for me personally, I think he's the greatest lyricist that's ever lived. I don't really I mean, there are other people that I would put in a similar, um, you know, league with him. But I kind of think that he is like the top um as far as as his lyrics are concerned um and i mean of course he was also incredibly talented you know as a guitar player and um you know maybe not the most diverse vocalist but like used his voice in an effective way right um and yeah i just those early records i mean i even like the the later records um yeah. his his newer like his last album was very good you know like a lot of his newer albums are great too and yeah and even yeah. though like like the ones from the 80s that have really cheesy production that has aged poorly like you can still hear the songs you can hear the lyrics and and if you can get past the like the production it's like there's still great songs at their core um yeah. so i even well, i even like, like all that stuff like the future like that, uh, that, that song, the future is fucking censorship. You know, it's it. Yeah. The production's a little cheesy or whatever, but the lyrics are so intense and dark that it, it makes up for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just, I think like, yeah, lyrically he's just unmatched. Um, and was like consistently just, you know, just incredible. Um, so. Yeah, I feel like he's. I would agree with you. Like that, he's probably one of the greatest lyricists of uh, any kind of musical genre, you know. And like people talk about Bob Dylan and stuff, but for me, it's Leonard Cohen is like the, you know, the great like kind of lyricist and of that of that time, you know. Like, I think that and it holds holds up so well. And I also just I really love the when you listen to like the first three albums in particular, where they have this kind of stripped back acoustic production with, then you have like, you know, some strings or some weird elements here and there. Um, there's something about that, those albums that I just find endlessly inspiring in a lot of ways, like to the point to that thing of like, yeah, you can just have a guy playing a Spanish guitar, you know, not really singing that great, but singing, like in a really great way you know what i mean and yeah these lyrics and everything and just the, the the vibe and atmosphere is just unmatched you know oh totally and i mean i've i've definitely my appreciation for bob dylan has i feel like continued to grow as i get older and he is incredible but yeah like i feel like leonard cohen 
when a lot of people were like, oh, you know, Dylan's my Dylan. I was like, Leonard Cohen is my Dylan, you know? Um, and, and so I think like, he'll always kind of be like, be number one for me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there's all these times where lyrics from his songs pop up in your head and, you know, or you have experiences in your life and you go back to his songs and you kind of understand them better. And, uh, have you ever read any of his novels? Like, uh, the, the favorite game is an amazing novel. No, I haven't read that one. I, ha I mean, I have some of his books. I have like some like collections of his writing. Um, I think my partner Angie has what is that one called? Like Beautiful Losers. Yeah, that's one. Um, of the, that was one when he did songs of love and hate and sell about Joan of Arc and stuff. Like, yeah, that book ties um, in with that album very well. Okay, yeah. Um, no, I definitely need to spend more time with with his books. Um, I definitely recommend picking up. Uh, the favorite game like it's very again it's interesting because that book ties in with a lot of the themes of the first Leonard Cohen album you know it's all about relationships and and that kind of stuff and it you get the feeling that the experiences that he kind of fictionalized in that book tie in very much to the experiences that he wrote like that he wrote into the the songs for the first album you know what I mean? okay like yeah they, sold okay yeah, they tie in really well <laughs> yeah what yeah. I'm gonna look that up right now well, my favorite songs on uh, on songs love and hate is dress rehearsal rag. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that, he's like talking about like killing himself, basically. You know, it's just like, <laughs> but the way he describes it is just so so perfect. You know. Yeah. Like just the whole thing, like always there's about looking in the mirror and then holding the shaving thing and wondering how it'd be to kill yourself and everything. You know, like <laughs> it's just so like. The way he the way he puts the lyrics together is that so perfect, you know. But Avalanche is probably my favorite Leonard, Leonard Cohen song, and every time that kicks on, I'm just it's just so eerie, you know. And I always try to understand, like you know, I think about the lyrics and stuff like that, you know. And uh, some of the some of the lyrics I I feel like early to different times in your life, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, I definitely pick up favorite game, so that's my. And even to people listening, if you like Leonard Cohen, you should read that novel. So. All right, I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I wanted to talk about Leonard Cohen for a minute because uh, I don't really get to talk about Leonard Cohen and Scott Walker and stuff with people too often, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, anytime. Anytime you want to nerd out on that stuff, I'm around. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe we'll have to do, uh, do an episode about one of those guys, you know? Yeah, I mean, we could do like a bunch of like... Uh, darker folky guys i don't know if you i don't know if you're into towns van zant at all but he's also a a big uh influence of mine and i think was just an incredible lyricist so um, towns van zant i need to get more into i was kind of inspired to check more of his stuff out because uh um mike and ralph did that episode where they talked about towns van zant and roy orbison okay yeah yeah and i, I was kind of more on on mike's Mike's viewpoint of that one because I've been, you know, I love Roy Orbison. Listen, you know, like really love Roy Orbison, listened to his music a lot. I grew up with Roy Orbison because my dad was, you know, Roy Orbison was my dad. My dad's favorite singers was Elvis, Roy Orbison, and Will and Jennings. Those are his his guys, you know what I mean? And Johnny Cash. That was like his Great four. Lineup. That was his four favorite singers in the world, you know. And he he mostly yeah. modeled himself after Johnny Cash because I feel like, you know, there's more but as a singer, but he, he, you know, I think he, he would have liked to have seen like Will and Jennings or Roy Orbison. Right. But so I grew up really heavy with those four guys. So 
I was born Roy Orbison. I don't, I think my dad had some Towns Van Zandt, but I never really listened to Towns Van Zandt growing up. So hearing Ralph talk about Towns Van Zandt and how you brought him up, like, yeah, I need to really dig more into his music. Yeah. I mean, if you're like, you know, it's, it's like, you know, got more of that uh, country feel than like a Leonard Cohen record has. But I think like lyrically, and like the mood that he sets and like a lot of like the finger picking techniques, like I could definitely see if you're a Leonard Cohen fan, like you getting into uh, kind of the classic Towns Van Zant material. Cause it's like, yeah, it's got this very kind of, um, I mean, the lyrics are just incredible. Yeah. But they're very dark and um, you know, him kind of uh, <laughs> trying to work through his own personal demons and, um yeah i yeah, you yeah towns van zant yeah i'm gonna have, <laughs> i'm gonna have, i'll listen to some towns van zant <laughs> yeah but we should def- we should definitely do an episode like that here soon like particularly we're getting into winter like i usually for whatever reason november december rolls around i usually end up listening to a lot of scott walker and leonard cohen and all that kind of stuff you know like, i don't know why it's just like for some reason it gets cold and i start listening to that a lot more you know so <laughs> yeah well yeah let me know yeah we'll have to do that yeah it's been great having you on and uh yeah we'll definitely have you on again soon so well cool yeah thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it it was a lot of fun yeah man thank you
to 